A good Thursday to you. It is September 23rd. That is Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen off Fallen Tree Records, Desolation Sounds, the album. And we're grateful to be able to spin it each and every morning. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our presenting sponsor, the team at Bitcoin. Well, I am literally, I'm not going to like name drop, another big, big deal here. I'm going to a bit of a big deal here, but I'm literally texting founding CEO Adam O'Brien as we speak. Sam's like, you ready to go? I'm like, yeah, yeah, give me a second. Yeah, I'm just, just, I'm just texting CEO Sam. Just hang on a second. Just give me a we're lining him up for next week. He's tentatively confirmed, Hoyles. We'll, we'll get into this later. We don't have to do this in front of the camera, so to speak. But Tuesday, uh, we're going to find time to fit Adam in because you've booked something already. We're going to be talking about Canada and digital currency. Would yeah. Canada consider adopting an, an official di- sort of, you know, like we're seeing maybe down in, in Central, Southern America. Uh, this could be Ecuador, yeah. Southern America. Am I like naming new continents myself? Of her yonder in Southern America. <laughs> O'Brien says he's in on Tuesday. You've got somebody from McGill, too? Yeah, I got a McGill University prof uh, who's looking at maybe it's time for Canada to adopt digital currency. More and more countries are going to be paying attention, you know, for example, to El Salvador, you know, and, and saying, What's you know, like, Ecuador, uh, man, we are just. No, but hey, well, there are other countries that are looking at it. Yeah. Everybody's paying attention. You know, how's it going to work out there? And, and could it work for, I mean, could the United States have an official digital currency? Probably not. The White House has been like, hell no. Right. The American, like, the, you know, the, the, the American dollar, the U.S. dollar is kind of a, a big deal. And so how does digital currency play in? We'll get into that on Tuesday and, and we'll ask questions. What does Adam O'Brien think about it? Ask them questions all the time. We have queries about crypto. You can find Bitcoin well under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's a it's a a great show in store. I'm going to say this show is going to move fast. Back to back jacks, back to back real talk roundtables coming up in just a second. Our winners circle with uh, three MPs elect. So these are three victors uh, following Monday night's election. We're going to be talking to Mike Lake. Uh, who has uh, won? How many? How many elections has Mike won in a row? Something like five or something. We'll ask him. One million. One million election victories. The conservative member of parliament for Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, will join us. We're going to talk to Blake Desjardins, who knocked off an incumbent. Uh, they say that that's difficult to do, regardless of who the incumbent is. They've got the name recognition. They've got you know all of the advantages. Well, Blake Desjardins came into Edmonton, Greaseball, and uh, representing the federal NDP, took the second. NDP seat or let me say one of two NDP seats in Alberta uh, both of them are in Edmonton Blake Desjardins will join us as will Randy Boissonneau who we were kind of hanging tight we were putting this roundtable together over the past couple of days and we're going uh, I quite like Mike Lake he's been on the show before I think Mike represents a lot of good things in politics uh, so I go Mike Lake's a no-brainer Blake Desjardins is a no-brainer that was a great story that a lot of people were following and but but we didn't know with regards to the liberal who would we talk to George Chahal down in Calgary we've been in touch with his team and, and they're looking forward to getting George onto the onto the program 
But Randy Boissano, that nail biter in Edmonton Center, which is the riding where our studio sits, uh, beating the incumbent James Cumming. This has, of course, been a back and forth battle. Randy Boissano holding the seat before James beat him two years ago. And so Randy uh, able to announce yesterday that following the counting of the mail in ballots and everything else, he will be returning to Ottawa, uh, representing the federal liberals in downtown Edmonton. So Randy, Mike and Blake will join us in just a couple of minutes time. And then we're going to get into talk on EVs, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, This is uh, prompted by the question, is it maybe more environmentally astute uh, is it maybe more of a, a move toward true sustainability to stop focusing on electric vehicles, on EVs, and maybe look more toward synthetic fuels? These are one of the questions that have been prompted by an engaged audience member. And Sarah's put together a panel of, I mean, the who's who. Basically, when you want to talk EVs, uh, Paul Horrell from from Top Gear. Everybody knows the show Top Gear in the magazine as well. Uh, probably, I would say, maybe maybe the most prominent motorsports show probably the most prominent so-called car show in the world i mean top gear has huge fans from around the world great to have paul joining us uh, as uh, will be dr nick eaves a mechanical engineer out of windsor out of the university of windsor and andrew bell of the ev association of alberta the electric vehicle association of alberta so that's going to be a great conversation prompted by many of your questions which i know no doubt will be coming in as we speak, uh, you can always, of course, be tuning in live and joining us, chiming in on the live chat. And you can also, of course, hit us up on our hashtag Real Talk RJ. That hashtag is powered by the team at Park Power that wants us to remind you that in the province of Alberta, you can choose who provides your Internet, electricity and natural gas. So. Like a real talker said to me yesterday, Michael, what a beauty Michael is. Such an engaged audience member. He said, what's the catch with Park Power? I go, what do you mean? What's the catch? He goes, like, they're just going to give me $70 off my first bill. I said, no. He goes, but like, what's I go, no, there's no catch. He goes, well, then why wouldn't I switch over to Park Power? And I go, yeah, why wouldn't you switch over to Park Power? It's easy to do. And the promo code 2021-RealTalk. I sort of misrepresented Michael there. He was more like communicating his intent to switch over. His question was more like, why wouldn't anybody switch over? And I was more and I was sort of more along the lines of Michael, you are speaking my language. 2021-RealTalk is the promo code to get you 70 bucks off your first bill. Parkpower.ca. Our friends at Kubi Energy, we're going to be hearing more about Kubi Energy a little bit later on in the show. As a matter of fact, there's a tie-in between Kubi Energy and one of our panelists on our EV roundtable. We're going to get into that. Kubi Energy has been helping people and businesses, organizations turn solar energy dreams and goals into solar energy solutions to power your life. They've been doing installs across Western Canada and continue to do so with their Tesla certified team. You can find them online, learn about them, their products, their services, and they've got a great blog section on their website at kubienergy.ca. I talked to Daryl at Westworld Computers a while back and I said, hey, what's the number one thing you want real talkers to know right now? And he goes, well, everybody's buzzing about the iPhone 13. The iPhone 13 launch day is tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Thursday, it's Friday, September 24th launch day of the iPhone 13. They've also got the all new iPad mini, the sixth generation designed, they say, uh, with a whole bunch of new features, an edge to edge screen, really narrow borders, elegant rounded corners. 
You'd say, what does that have to do with tech? Nothing, but it's fun to hold in your hand. It just feels so good. It slides into your pocket way better. Yeah, and and believe it or not, that's not Apple's official marketing slogan. (laughs) The new iPad mini 6th gen, it feels so good. You can find them both at Westworld Computers. And don't forget to ask about their trade-up program. They guarantee the most for your Apple trade-in. You can find them online at westworld.ca. Let's get to our guests. We're grateful that they've agreed to join us. It has been a whirlwind 40 days or so for these three. Blake Desjardins, the MP elect out of Edmonton, Griesbaugh, Mike Lake, the MP elect out of Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, and Randy Boissonneau, the MP elect out of Edmonton Center. It's uh, great to have all three of you here. Thanks for doing this on short notice. Uh, Blake, I'm going to start with you. This is a whole new world for you, my friend. Relatively young guy, first-time MP. A lot of people are celebrating the fact you're the first openly two-spirit MP in Canadian history, and you beat an incumbent. How are you feeling this morning? Well, Ryan, thanks so much, first of all, for uh, having the time to spend with me this morning. I think the people of Edmonton Griesbach have woken up to a beautiful day, and I'm so proud of so many of my neighbors, friends, and relatives who've elected and chose better this election, and I just can't wait to get to work. Randy, for you, I mean, you had to wait a little bit. I know you probably wanted to give a victory speech on election night. You had to wait. I mean, at one point, I saw that the vote total was hovering right around 130, the difference between you and James Cumming, who had, of course, beat you two years ago. Now you're headed back to Ottawa. How are you feeling? Well, look, a lot of gratitude, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, just a big shout out and thank you to the residents of Edmonton Centre, neighbours, friends and people who, uh, you know, came together to send a strong progressive voice into government. And I want to congratulate uh, Blake. It's going to be an honour to serve with you. And Mike, uh, good to see you back. We even crossed paths during the campaign. So uh, it's just wonderful to see you all. I think the clear message is that we have to work together in this parliament and uh, we're, we're ready to get to work and have started already this morning. So, Ryan, thanks very much. You got it. Mike, uh, your constituents uh, spoke loud and clear. They want to see you back in Ottawa. Refresh my memory. I know I can look it up on the World Wide Web, but I said I'm going to be checking in with Mike in a second. I'll just ask him, is this five elections in a row you've won? This is my sixth. Sixth. Well, congratulations. Uh, Obviously, a strong mandate uh, from the people in your riding and, and a strong mandate for conservatives across the province of Alberta. How are you feeling today with regards to what's next? You know, really, really good, really uh, energized to get to work. Uh, you know, like Randy, I want to congratulate uh, both of the the other two uh, on this call uh, for, for their wins. Uh, um, Blake, it, it's a real honor to have that opportunity. And, and you'll, uh, you know, walking into the House of Commons for the first time is, is a really special moment. So look forward to that. Uh, in regards to my constituents, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to this. a lot of frustration. I'm sure we'll talk about it over the over the call. A lot of frustration, uh, you know, reflected in the conversations we were having at the doors. And, you know, the, the goal is to harness that, turn it into some form of meaningful action that makes our country better. And uh, but not not let it get over the top, treat each other with respect, passionately debate things. And uh, that's what we're looking forward to. Hopefully something a little different than in the last parliament, uh, 
you know, hopefully we see, uh, you know, an increased willingness to work together with members from all parties. Well, and and of course, uh, Randy's party is going to need someone to work with them if they're going to get stuff passed. And, and, and most likely it's going to be the NDP, though it could be the block. It could be the conservatives. I, I want to encourage the three of you to feel free to jump in. Let's treat this like we're all out for coffees. You don't have to wait for me to tap you on the shoulder. Mike, I want to circle back to you so you can set the tone for us. And then we'll go to Blake and Randy. When you talk about the frustration you're hearing from people at the doors, Aside from some folks, we know it was a common theme. People saying we're not sure that this election was actually necessary. Aside from that, what else are you talking about? Well, it was. I mean, first of all, that was a really common theme and uh, it was common at the doors during the election. And it's common after the election, uh, having seen the results of where we're at. Of course, Parliament was supposed to be sitting three days ago where we would have been debating legislation, uh, debating all of the main issues of the day, and and who knows when we'll actually be sitting. Of course, we would have had parliamentary committees uh, also uh, taking a look, getting a chance to call expert uh, medical professionals uh, to committee to uh, share their advice on the record for Canadians uh, uh, with questions being asked by members of parliament who uh, would have reflected pretty much the same numbers that we're going to reflect now. Everything's just delayed. And so there was that real frustration as we went to the doors. But um, you know, I think the tone is going to be really important as we move forward too. Um, you know, the, the frustration we were feeling wasn't frustration from one particular part of the political spectrum. It was from all over the place. Uh, um, and, and people want to see their, their elected officials acting. They want to see, uh, see us taking some action on the, the, the big economic issues of the day. We, it's not enough to talk about the government having Canadians backs. Um, we have to recognize that uh, decisions we're making today have impact today and we have to get those decisions right. But they're going to have impact for our kids and grandkids down the road as well. And and uh, that has to be an important part of the conversation. Mike, uh, I appreciate you putting that out there. Randy, I want to give you a chance to respond. I mean, your your party's forming government is a, it's a minority yeah. government. Obviously, you know, we, who wasn't on the show the other day, Hoyles, was it uh, that, that, that made the assertion that that uh, no, nobody won, but Justin Trudeau lost? I'm, that was I, it's Ken. escaping me. That was Ken uh, Bosenkuhl. Yeah. Randy, would you would you I mean, I know you're like your party won, but it's a minority government. Obviously, Mr. Trudeau wanted a majority government. So so in that context, do you think you were able to at the doors give people that were that were asking what Mike's talking about a, a reason or justification for that for calling that election? Well, what we talked about in the doors was the fact that this was an opportunity for us to literally get a temperature check, uh, a pulse check from Canadians. Did they want the supports to continue? I mean, at one point, Ryan, we had half a million Albertans on the wage subsidy here in Alberta, and 92% of the supports that came to Albertans during the pandemic came from the federal Liberal government. There was a block in McQueen, all seven houses. We had a woman tell us that all seven houses on her block would have been lost without uh, the CERB, and that they were voting for us as a block because we saved the block and that was really important for them and they'd never voted for us before and so that message has been received and the, and the message that i'm taking that i heard in the doors is people want real action on climate change they want to see the greenhouse gas emissions come down they want COVID in the rear view mirror they're done they want the economy opened up but they want it done safely and i think the three of us have a responsibility in parliament to lean in and make sure that whatever supports the alberta government needs on behalf of albertans to keep them safe we do uh, i can tell you ryan i heard every day on the doors about $10 a day childcare, about protecting seniors, housing affordability and affordable housing, and about reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. And so we have a lot of work to do. And I think 
the three of us could uh, form the uh, you know the basis of uh, even like an Edmonton caucus across party lines and demonstrate to our residents across the city that we're serious about having these conversations on behalf of Edmonton, Alberta. And then we mix it up in the House, but at committee, we can get real work done for people. And the message in this election is people want results. And that's why I'm really thrilled to honor to represent the uh, the citizens of Edmonton Centre again. Now, Blake, you, you ran a campaign that, that uh, regardless of, of which party we're talking about, it was, it was a campaign, but by the way, with great branding, there was great community mobilization, but you ran a campaign that felt a little bit different than a lot that I've seen. And that's because it was positive uh, when, when it when it comes to, to, to how when you're packing your bags and, and heading to Ottawa right now. Of course, there are the priorities as outlined by your party's leader, Jagmeet Singh. But you personally, what do you intend to be focusing on? What are some of the top things on your to do list? Well, thanks, Ryan, for that question. And positivity is certainly something Alberta and Albertans have been lacking for a long time. It's, I think it's a refreshing take on, on many perspectives. There's a lot of nuance in Alberta. And I think that nuance is largely lost when we have kind of the monolith of, of representatives like we do in our province, uh, conservatives are, they surround the entire city, um, which is not a problem, but it also does limit the diversity of perspective and diversity of voice. And so I think people were excited about that in Edmonton, Griesba. They were excited to see a new uh, fresh perspectives on some of the issues Albertans are facing every single day. Some of the ones that I think are a priority are healthcare. I hear that from so many folks, uh, especially in our team, we see nurses, we see frontline care workers, EMS. I met with so many uh, of our healthcare professionals throughout this. My partner, for example, uh, works at the Royal Alexandria hospital. Um, he's having, he sees it every single day. Like these issues aren't, uh, aren't just on the TV. They're in real life. People are being impacted. And so my biggest a concern right now is making sure that our frontline healthcare workers and our healthcare system uh, stays intact. In Democrats, we fought hard to bring in universal healthcare across Canada. Some of the best politicians in the country have fought for that. And today it's under attack here in Alberta, and we want to make sure to defend it. People rely on it. Mike, there's been you know a lot of speculation around whether or not the you know the unpopularity of, of Alberta's premier potentially hurt the federal conservative party. And then of course a lot of people are talking about Maxime Bernier and the PPC and, and whether or not, the, you know, the, the moderate growth, I guess, of that party, depending on how you want to look at it, you know, five, six, maybe seven percent support in some constituencies actually hurt the conservatives. Uh, what's your take on on both of those conversations, the, the provincial influence on the federal party and the PPC's influence on the conservative party of Canada? I mean, certainly uh, both of those had an, an impact on the election. There's no question. We had those conversations at the door. Um particularly dealing with the PPC impact, um, absolutely it made a difference. We we wound up, and, and this is something that I think is important for us as a party to take away, we wound up with the same number of seats, um, but we would have had many, many more if the PPC numbers had stead, stayed uh, where they were in the last uh, election campaign. You only have to look at Edmonton Centre um, to look at the impact that the PPC, 2,000 votes the PPC had on on that race there. Um, it's, a, it's an important factor, absolutely. Um, I do want to just address what each of the others were talking about uh, just previously. Um, Randy made a point of referring to the liberal government's measures that they took on on a variety of things. It's really important to point out that in this in the previous parliament, the Canadian wage subsidy, for example, um, the the extension of that to seventy five percent was uh, was an initiative pushed by 
uh, largely by by our caucus originally, taken on by the Liberals eventually. The NDP was supportive as well. Um, James Cumming was a huge champion of that increase to 75 percent, I'll point out. Um, many of the measures were passed by all parties. They weren't just passed by one and debated and made better through debate. That, I think, was that frustration we were talking about where uh, we could have been working and should continue to work in that direction when we come back. Uh, hopefully, members of parliament on all sides will be, thoughts will be considered and, and take that team approach. You can't just talk about an Edmonton caucus or a group of us getting together. We have to actually act on things where you would think there would be common interest. Uh, you know, I've seen in my time as a member of parliament, a, a national autism strategy voted against by only liberals, NDP supportive, Green supportive, other supportive. Randy was in that government, uh, but the we still don't have one. Um, four years later, it's promised to come in a couple of years, but we could have had it in 2017. Um, the 65th Avenue interchange, the number one ask for infrastructure in this region uh, at the at the airport there in, in Leduc, uh, all of the municipalities agreed that it's the number one ask. The province stepped up with funding and uh, it didn't get funded this time around. Uh, you know, so sometimes uh, there's a lot of talk around working together but that action just isn't there. The action needs to be there too. Randy, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Well, I think there, if we can work together and if we kind of take off, to Mike's point, if we take off our, our party stripes and just say, look, what's the expertise? How can we make things better? I mean, uh, the uh, government um, was supportive of, uh, for example, uh, Matt Jenneru's uh, private member's bill, and there have been good examples of cross-aisle support. I mean, uh, when you know we went down the path of passing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, that was uh, a cross-aisle support as well. And so, I mean, when you have expertise and somebody like Mike on the autism file or, you know, Blake's lived experience and what you're going to bring to Ottawa. Uh, in my case, there's a business lens. There's also an LGBTQ2 lens. I think if we can get out of our partisan lanes and say, how do we deliver a win for our region? Uh, I do know that that uh, 65th interchange request is into the federal government, Mike, and uh, it is I mean, we had a suspension of, of government business because of, of the election. And now I think Randy, it's been in for two years. It's been in for two years. Yeah. And I think COVID got in the way of a lot of an election got in the way. Yep. An election was called. And now we have to make sure that we get back to the work to build up our city. And I think you're seeing great things happen at the airport. And there's also an, uh, the city's growing. And so we're going to have to pay close attention to the infrastructure needs of all parts of the region. And that's what I hope to be pushing for heading back to Ottawa. Blake, I had an interesting conversation with your your now colleague, uh, Heather McPherson, who won again in, in Edmonton, Strathcona. And we're talking about uh, one instance in particular where she voted against her party, essentially, at least the trend when it came to pipeline support for the province of Alberta. I don't have to tell you that, you know, you're one of two NDP members of parliament in the entire province. Uh, how do you foresee walking that line or finding that balance between representing your party's mandate and your and your party's top priorities as well as representing what's best for the region that you represent. I know in Edmonton Griesbaugh, there's a lot of people that work in traditional energy, that work in oil and gas. Yeah, I'm included in that group. You know, I'm a former energy worker. I've worked in the oil and the coal lake um, oil sands for much of my life. You know, I was a safety officer to a laborer, to a flush by operator. And I know what it's like to actually be a worker in the energy sector. And I often hear politicians speak about the interests of energy workers without actually talking to us. You know, and that's what I'm so excited about is to bring that perspective to Ottawa, because the reality is 
It's about workers. It's about trying to make sure your families have an option for your future. It's about making sure that that people have the benefits and the security and the support that a good life with dignity that every Albertan deserves, especially energy workers who have built up our prosperity, who have built up our province, can't be left behind now. You know, I'm someone who had to retrain, you know, after four years or sorry, six years of working in the Coal Lake oil sands. We have to do that. You know, we have to look at ways that our families can get ahead. And right now, Albertans, I think, are more interested in making sure that they have prosperity, not just in the next few years, but for 50 years, 100 years. And I think we have to start thinking about that. We need some nuance in this discussion. So I think related to, you know, my colleague Heather McPherson's statement, she's interested in that as well. And I think from a a new NDP Alberta perspective, there's lots of ways we can move forward by supporting workers and supporting the energy sector. And they're not mutually exclusive. Mike, it's uh, I mean, it's been interesting. We did our own polling in a way, utilizing our question of the week from Y Station to ask real talkers what their top election priorities were. And and I'll be honest, I was forecasting the economic rebound in Canada's post-COVID economic recovery to be number one. It wasn't. As a matter of fact, climate uh, was number one. The environment was number one. Economic recovery in the top three But it sent a pretty clear message. Your boss, Aaron O'Toole, leader of the party, got ahead of this in a way and and released climate policy before the writ drop, before the election was called. And of course, in hindsight, looking back on 2019, a lot of people said that had Andrew Scheer communicated a more clear or more what people perceived to be a more viable climate policy, the election results could have or may have been different. Do you think that the conservative climate plan resonated with people? There wasn't a huge change in how the vote the seat totals uh, turned out looking now in retrospect with the luxury of a few days removed from this election. How do you assess that in this context of climate? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you make a a good point. I think if you take a look at the numbers again, you know, important that we did have the highest vote total still in the country. Again, uh, second election in a row that the conservatives have had the most Canadians vote for them, more Canadians than any other party. Um, And, and we lost support, to the PPC on the far right, which means we gained some support from somewhere, which is probably the center right. And and that would be an issue that would be uh, a a place where we would win some support, sort of that balance between energy and uh, the environment and and the economy. Um, So I think think that that's a really good point. Um, I, I hope that we can continue to kind of find that balance. I have to point out though, that, you know, at the doors, the conversations were different than the polls we see on Twitter. Um, and, and I find it's door knocking where you really get a handle on what people are thinking because they don't know you're coming to the door and they're not really, uh, they're, 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 they're as randomly selected as you get as long as you're door knocking in different areas. I'm fortunate to have a riding that has about 100,000 constituents in the city and 100,000 outside the city. So m- my polls at the doors are different than uh, different in, in different parts of the riding. But uh, the number one thing we were hearing about at the doors was, was, ener- was, was energy uh, economy uh and environment kind of as a combination so the economy was a huge issue for me at least in my constituency the economy was a huge issue the question how are we going to pay for all of this was a huge 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 issue and it got asked probably more by seniors than almost anybody else because they're on many times fixed incomes and with the inflation rate going up, there's a lot of concern about the impact that that's going to have on their uh, on their ability to live the same quality of life that they're living right now or have been living. Randy, Brian, you, yeah, go ahead. 
I was going to say that the the order that you have in your poll is very similar to what we heard in Edmonton Center. It's first climate change, uh, second was COVID, uh, ending COVID and COVID response, and then the economic recovery that comes from that. And then the third thing was $10 a day childcare. And on the energy and uh, environment file, I spoke with uh, dozens of uh, workers in the oil and gas field, and a lot of my family members are in there. And I had this one conversation with this you know big guy, John, he didn't want to take my flyer. I was outside of a grocery store. And then he came back and he said, I apologize. He said, I, I I didn't give you a chance to to give me your spiel and let's talk. He says, I live in Oliver. I work in Fort McMurray. Does that mean you won't talk to me? I said, what are you talking about? Of course, I'm going to talk to you. And he said, well, sometimes get a little nervous. I'm an oil and gas worker, but I live in a downtown core. And and it's kind of weird. I'm like, it's not weird. You're 20% of Canada's GDP. You're helping green the sector. And he said to me, we know a shift is coming. Just make sure it's a transition, not a switch. And that's the plan that we're on. I mean, Amarjeet Sohi and I and Kent pushed our party hard to get TMX built and bought. And every dollar that comes from TMX and when it's turned on at the end of 22 uh, in December, all of that money is going to go into the green transition. And that's a, a legacy piece. The emissions are capped in to our plan. And we're going to start seeing those emissions coming down in the next couple of years. And that's what people at the doors asked me to do. Blake, in your writing, in the writing of Edmonton Griesbaugh, what what would you say? I mean, this is uh, it's this is an anecdotal question, obviously, unless you were actually tracking it with your door knockers. But what would you say was the number one or maybe the top two or three things you were hearing from specifically in that writing? Does it align what you're hearing from these two? Well, it's a combination of some of these realities, right? Like there's a lot of nuance and diversity in Edmonton Greece, but then there isn't in other districts. We have some of the most diverse populations. And so immigration is actually one of the bigger issues we hear of is issues with uh, long wait times. There's tremendous amount of people in our community who've been reaching out to members of parliament from across our province, even looking for some help on immigration and the wait lines and even hate, for example, hate motivated attacks. You know, we have Al Rashid Mosque in our community. I met with them many of times and there's a concern of safety. You know, there's racialized uh, racialized hate in our community, and it's going largely unaddressed by members of parliament across uh, Alberta. And it's a serious issue, and they need help now. We need to be able to condemn these attacks, especially against women, black women wearing hijab. We need to condemn the, uh, the terrible treatment of uh, Indigenous people here living on our streets who are houseless. There's a tremendous amount of injustice continuing to go on, and people... Um, have seen that. And I think COVID-19 has shown us that there's that, that that's huge. There's a huge amount of folks who are not being served correctly and properly. And so I've heard that a lot amongst the concerns of, of Randy and, and Mike, uh, especially when we're looking at healthcare, you know, I've talked about that already. Uh, but one more issue that I think is critical to this discussion uh, is climate change. You know, people in our community are talking about the uh, our summer how hot this summer was how incredibly difficult it was for families to even grow uh, peas or food or make sure their kids stay cool make sure their animals stay cool uh, they were concerned about the heat wave they're concerned about the smoke we had a public health crisis with smoke this year uh, it was overshadowed by of course COVID-19 but we've had a tremendous amount of uh, issues with respiratory illness because of the onset of smoke due to wildfires we need a strategy to actually combat these uh, serious crises, especially the last one I'll leave is the opioid crisis. Absolutely. You know, 118th is a community. We have Boyle Street, Macaulay, Alberta Ave. Uh, one of the first people to come congratulate me was a police officer who works here on 118th uh, all the time, 15 years. And he came to meet me and said, Blake, please help with the opioid crisis and gang violence. You know, these things are serious in our community. And how do we keep communities together while also tackling this serious issue, serious crisis uh, crisis of health, of the opioid crisis. We have to do something about it. And 
I said it before, but how public health is just being ignored and we need to do something about it here in Alberta. Hey, Ryan, can I just uh, on on that, on the list of things that Blake brought up, can I just point out like that and almost the entire list of things that Blake was talking about are things that we should be able to work together on. Mm-hmm. There is when we're talking about this, the issues that Blake's talking about, those are huge issues that we all recognize. We have champions in all of our parties on every one of those issues. We may debate how we get there and how we resolve those issues. And those debates are absolutely uh, relevant and need to be had and they need to be had passionately with respect, though. And uh, but but the issues themselves, um, they're huge issues. And, and the parliament that we're about to enter into will be a success if we can, as parliamentarians, from all sides come together to find answers to some of these issues that have been standing for a long time. And Mike, I'm going to build on really quickly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead, Rand. I just want to build. Thanks, Blake. I just want to build on that because, Mike, the other thing is to bring the other orders of government together. We have a municipal election coming up. Uh, that's going to be a big reset, at least in in our city and in Calgary. Um, but we have to make sure that we have bridges to the provincial government. And you know, there may be you have, may have relationships there that that we don't have that we're going to need to rely on because when we have kids in the street overdosing uh, and nobody has a naloxone kit nearby, this is a tragedy. And when we've got a healthcare crisis that has 29 people dying on one day this week through COVID, we're going to have to lean in and we're going to have to work together and cross some provincial municipal party lines. And because citizens don't care about the different, they don't care about which order of government it is, they just want results and they want things that they see as problems and challenges challenges solved and we will have time on the plane together to talk about these things and in ottawa and in our own city so i i really do want to see us collaborate on this and bring people from the other orders of government to get the stuff done just Uh, assure me though just assure me randy that because you're in the government caucus which is a different place to be than mm-hmm. in the opposition caucuses. Blake's in a caucus that'll probably be your partner, your sibling in government. And uh, so you probably have a lot more influence, both of you, on uh, where things are going to go from here. Uh, promise me that your voice inside caucus is going to be, we need to listen to the other parties as well, including those you know, those those members of parliament that represent the, what, 30, 34% of Canadians that voted conservative, because uh, uh, in the last parliament, as as the liberals were looking for partners on uh, on, on different things, they, they were looking to the NDP and they were looking to the bloc and, you know, people who voted conservative and people from areas that voted conservative were largely forgotten, largely ignored. Yeah. So, Mike, I'll accept your, your your challenge, and you and I have known each other a long time now, and I'll raise you. Let's just make sure that your party, and if we can dance together, let's do it, but let's also make sure that there's no blocking of, of thoughtful legislation for political or partisan reasons, because I think Canadians just want us to get the work done. So I, I'm happy to meet you more than halfway, my friend. I want to give uh, Blake worry, a chance to chime in here. Blake, go ahead. <laughs> we'll make sure that, you know, NDP has always been the party of accountability. We've always been the party of making sure we go beyond words. And I think uh, Mike and to Randy, I challenge both of you to make sure that we stay committed to that. You know, Mike, you mentioned that you want to see us work together. I'm committed to that. You know, I want to make sure that we continue to get results or even start getting results for Edmonton, start getting results for Alberta, uh, because these issues are serious. You know, for example, the conservative incumbent in my district didn't even show up to the one debate we had at Al-Rashid Mosque, which was on the violence against women wearing hijab. There was many questions on that. For six years, this issue could have been, this is so serious and I I can't stress how serious this is. A 14 year old girl had a knife brought to her throat and not one comment from the conservatives. You have to talk to some of your colleagues about violence in Alberta. 
because it's out of control, hate motivated crime and racialized crime. You know, I worked in Ottawa the last five years. I've talked to many conservatives and I tried to address this issue, not even as an MP elect, but as just a regular citizen, someone who's committed to justice, someone who's committed to my relatives across uh, our city, no matter where you come from, we need safety. And I think that's something we can all agree on. So let's push for it. Let's listen to the folks who need help now. I also think that, um, Ryan, I want to thank you for having uh, a majority of the panelists come from the uh, 2SLGBTQIS uh, community. And um, Mike, I'm going to say it bluntly, we need your help to push your own caucus to see us as people. Half of your caucus voted against the conversion therapy bill. That means that half of your colleagues in caucus think that I and Blake should be different people. And that's deeply personally hurtful. And I'm fine, I've got a great partner, I've got a great life, but there are a lot of people who look at that and literally feel that half of the Conservative caucus and a great percentage of the party don't see them as real people. And if we're ever gonna open up the house to everybody, we've gotta do better. So we're gonna need your allyship inside inside your own caucus and I'll do everything I can to show people that I'm a human and I'm who I am and that I deserve everybody's respect because every LGBTQ2IS person in the in the world does. Mike? So, so- I, I voted in favor of that legislation. I, um, I will say, though, that in the debate, again, there was there was very little willingness on, behalf of, on the part of your party to hear what were some legitimate concerns brought by folks from from the other side that would have allowed us to come to unanimity, I think, on that. And uh, that the, the questions that were being asked were to reflect language from the government's own website on the issue mm-hmm. in the legislation on the issue. That was the ask. And... And there was no willingness to hear that. And so, absolutely, we have, in fact, we have uh, elected our, our, our second LGBTQ uh, member of parliament from our party, Melissa mm-hmm. Lansman, who is absolutely fantastic. Uh, in addition to uh, Eric Duncan, who's been advocating mm-hmm. uh, for an end to the blood ban, as you know, something longstanding, mm-hmm. a longstanding promise by the Liberals that has not been executed, despite, again, unanimity from all of the other parties on it. Um, but for some reason hasn't been acted on by the liberal government uh, that, that, that had the control over it. So, um, you know, let's just make sure that there's some consistency in the conversation. And absolutely, absolutely, as it, you know, if you're looking for allies in, in moving forward to ensure that we can all live the, 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 the quality of life, the, the uh, you know, the enjoy all of the benefits that Canada has to offer, you, you, you can count on me and my colleagues. You Thank can. you. And just to set the table straight, Ryan and colleagues, uh, we funded the science to end the blood ban. When we got into office, it was five years. We got it down to one year. We got it down to three months. And now Canada blood, uh, Canadian Blood Services and Hema Quebec uh, will be reporting to Health Canada in November, December to get down to zero. So it's coming. It was a long slog, but it's we're going to keep pushing until it's done. Okay. I want to uh, wrap with this. I want to thank you all for your time. We've got our next round table in the bullpen set to go right now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but Blake, I know that that uh, obviously it's uh, very meaningful to you uh, to be heading to Ottawa and a, a young. Are you 27? Is that right? A 27 year old, two spirit indigenous man. We're approaching uh, a week today, uh, as a matter of fact, right? The 30th uh, a week today, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We had interesting conversations as part of our ongoing election coverage on whether or not there was enough attention being paid. Uh, to reconciliation as part of election platforms. Uh, how do you intend to approach this as an MP and, and what would represent meaningful action 
from the government on this file that I know is important to many Canadians, maybe now more than ever before, considering some of the events of this past year? Hmm. Well, Ryan, you know, reconciliation is on top of mind of many Canadians, not just here in Alberta, but across the country and albeit across the world. People look to Canada as a, let's call it a, a framework for certain things, especially social justice. Canadians have the opportunity to make sure that we do things right and reflect that across the world and uphold human rights wherever human indignity uh, exists. The reality is that indignity exists in Canada today. It exists right now in Alberta. Whether we like it or not, I've experienced it. I know communities without clean water, for example, something that liberals committed to, and you have no idea how heartbreaking that is. I have a niece. She's just seven, and she's never turned on a tap with clean water. That's simply unacceptable, and saying the right things and not doing them hurt that mission. So, Randy, to you, I, we have to work hard on this. We have to make sure that immediately, within months, that we have a commitment to get, and every single one. You know, I've watched these projects go by. I've worked on several of them. They're not that complicated. You know, we actually, for some reason, I keep hearing this from liberal cabinet ministers that it's complicated to get water to these communities no it's not complicated first and foremost we have to stop saying it's complicated it's quite easy all we have to do is make these partnerships make sure those partnerships are sustained in a good way and have that and move forward on it you know it's not rocket science we're not sending people to space here we're just trying to get people clean drinking water we can do something like that that's tangible that's real and i intend to hold the government accountable for that promise uh, on another front on reconciliation, we have the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, something that we, many Indigenous people, believe doesn't hit the mark. You know, the, the reality that the Liberal government has created this reconciliation framework with three national organizations, the uh, Assembly of First Nations, the Métis National Council, and the ITK, uh, aren't enough. There's people falling through the cracks. We need to meet people where they're at. There's people on 118th Avenue who deserve dignity, who deserve their stories to be heard, who are survivors of the 60s school residential school. I included in them and they need to have their voices heard too. We can't just push this under the rug for any longer because as Mur Senator Murray St. Clair said once, the alternative is violence. Mm. Let's prevent mm. that. Let's be preventative in this and make sure we do the best we actually can, regardless of the cost. Gentlemen, I promised to have you out by 10 after 9. Of course, we're doing this live, regardless of when our audience is listening to it. I'm going to hold to that promise uh, in uh, in hopes and under the assumption that we will gather together again here on the show. I want to thank the three of you for making yourselves available through. I know it is an extremely busy week. The MP elect for Edmonton Center, uh, Randy Boisno of the Liberal Party of Canada, Mike Lake, the uh, MP elect. He'll be returning uh, as the MP for the Conservatives uh, in Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, and of course, Blake Desjardins who's uh, going to be heading to into the House uh, for the very first time as the newly minted MP elect for the NDP out of Edmonton, Griesbaugh. To the three of you, thank you for the real talk, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Thank you. We're going to be talking EVs in just a second. You can let us know your thoughts on on that. Uh, I appreciate that there was uh, there was some uh, you know they, they were uh, do I say gentlemen? They were cordial, and then all of a sudden they said, "Now nah, let's get into it a little bit. Let's uh, let's kick some dust onto on a home plate here a little bit. Let's let's get real about some of the not just the priorities and, and not just some of the talking points, but the performance as well." Mm. Right. And, and you can tell that that Randy and Mike have known each other for a while. 
Uh, this There's is not some familiarity th- there. This is not the first time. I mean, I, I've I've gathered uh, in past in studio outside of a pandemic context uh, in a radio studio with those two, and uh, and and they they're they're always willing to to go at it in in uh, a way that I think moves the ball forward because mm. that is when we talk about real talk, we want to bring people on the show that are going to really dig into it. And I got to say, you don't have to be a big fan of the NDP. You can be a huge fan of the NDP. It doesn't matter to me. I think we can all agree. Boy, is Blake Desjardins ever impressive. Uh, to me, it doesn't matter how you feel about, you know, the NDP's election platform or anything like that. I think that more people like that people that have lived experience, mm. people that have this perspective that that comes across as, in my mind, extremely sincere. I, mean, I love that for a guy coming in. Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to find that balance between your party's perspectives, you know, or your party's priorities when it comes to in particular, people might say pipelines. Yeah. And representing the people in your writing, you goes, well, I am an energy. I, I was an energy worker for years. I mean, that just to me, there's more layers to that guy. I'm going to that's that's a guy to keep an eye on. If we had more time, I wanted to ask Blake. We'll ask him some other time about Mumalak Kak, the, the yeah. MP out of none of it that said as an indigenous as an indigenous woman, she didn't feel like there was space for her on Parliament Hill. And so uh, we'll, of course, be checking in with those three as Parliament resumes. And I appreciate their availability. Before we talk EVs, uh, we want to remind you that that, that if you are going to be taking your car to Edmonton International Airport and leaving it there, because, you know, you're going to be heading out of town, you want to you get out of Dodge, you want to go somewhere where you can actually enjoy yourself and, and maybe reward yourself for what's been a stressful past 18 months. This is your reminder that you can fly nonstop uh, this is from Edmonton to Phoenix beginning October 7th, a nonstop direct flight from Edmonton to Phoenix that begins October 7th. Well, in the meantime, while you're planning your travel, if it's any travel out of EIA before the end of 2022, so like 15 months from now, if you know the dates, why not go to jetsetparking.com right now using the promo code REALTALK. You can book parking for $8 a day, not $8 an hour, $8 a day with the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com. You can put your money in the bank, put your car at JetSet. They're locally owned, and you'll love them. You'll find them online at jetsetparking.com. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, they're keeping their eye on the sky. They're keeping their eye on the thermometer, just like the rest of us. We all know what's going to happen over the next six weeks or so. Don't say it. The seasons are Don't changing. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it in a point. The seasons are changing, and that means that there will be less landscape construction going on and more landscape design. Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping are bringing outdoor spaces to life like they have for 20 plus years as a family owned business, a custom landscape builder with a whole ton of satisfied customers. They're really proud of their return business and their referrals. Look them up online at landscapeedmonton.ca and tell them that Real Talk sent you. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials want to remind you that they deliver to your door. If you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta right around Red Deer their quality raw food delivered on a weekly basis to people that want to do the best they can for their four-legged family members so I met a pup the other day with three legs a real beauty unbelievable these dogs don't know they only have three they, they, they just go on about their business still running jumping unbelievable your three and four-legged family members can benefit and I'm talking dogs here of course don't feed quality raw food to your cat from grand dog although I don't know about that 
Maybe ask their team of nutritionists, just like we did, our family. We said there's some digestive issues with Moses and Monroe. How can you help us out? They did, which is why I'm so proud to refer you to granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first time order with Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. We've been looking forward to this conversation on the show for a long time. We know that EVs, electric vehicles, are becoming more and more the norm. You probably see it. I mean, depending on where you live or or maybe some of you, you say, well, you know what? You know what is really on my radar when it comes to movement transport? I see bikes and I see city buses. OK, fine. But if you're spending a lot of time on the road, if, if you're spending time in traffic, if you're on the freeway, You're probably seeing more EVs now than ever before. Automakers are approaching this in motivated fashion, many of them suggesting that within the next 10 to 15 year window, nearly their entire lineup will be electric. But is it actually the best move for the planet? Why are we talking more about things like synthetic fuels? Sarah Hoyles, producer of this show, has lined up a roundtable panel that I know is going to enrich our understanding about this. And it's a real pleasure to welcome them to the program. Paul Horrell is a leading international motoring journalist with more than three decades experience, of course, affiliated with Top Gear, a household name when it comes to motoring enthusiasts around the world. It's a pleasure to welcome Paul to the show. Dr. Nick Eaves is an assistant professor at the University of Windsor. His research interests are combustion and nanoparticle technology, earning his doctorate from the University of Toronto, a research associate at the University of Cambridge in the UK. And rounding out our panel is Andrew Bell. Andrew's director of the Electric Vehicle Association of Alberta, which is dedicated to spreading awareness and promoting the adoption of EVs and charging infrastructure. So three great perspectives here. And gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the program, encourage you to interact with one another, jump in if you see the need. Paul, would you agree with my assessment on the growth of the EV market and where it's going? Is this pretty much going to be the norm EVs 10 years from now? It's going to get close to that in terms of the new cars that people buy. Um, one of the main reasons we're also discussing uh, synthetic fuels is that you have to have a fuel, a carbon neutral fuel that will power the cars that people still have. Because uh, if you buy a car now, I think you'd be expecting a petrol, a, a gasoline car. If you buy it now, I think you'd be expecting to drive it still in 15 years time. And so what are you going to drive it with? What are you going to put in the tank? Um, but for new cars being bought, in 10 to 15 years time yeah uh, i suspect that the majority will be uh, will be electric andrew what are you seeing i mean you know from your position with the ev association of alberta if we compare it for you know from 5 years ago to now uh, how much growth has there been in the market and i mean when it comes to you know the rubber actually hitting the road uh, where is it going <laughs> There's been a tremendous amount of growth in the last five years, for sure. Um, even here in uh, oil country, Alberta, uh, I'm noticing like far more EVs than in previous years. Like I've been in the sphere since 2008 following this and had my first plug-in vehicle uh, converted back in 2010. So I was one of the first to actually do in this province. And uh, I'd say, yeah, in the last two, three years, there's definitely a big uptake, but uh Alberta is like fourth in the lead uh, for EV adoption. Uh, We're a distant fourth, um, but it's nice to see that progress happening. Andrew, when you're talking about fourth, are you talking about provinces and territories in Canada? And are we talking about per capita EV ownership? 
Yes, I am. Yeah. So Octo, uh, Quebec, Ontario, and British Columbia hold the lion's share of EV adoption. They probably hold over 90% of all Canadian, all plug-in vehicles in Canada. So we're definitely a distant fourth. Wow. Uh, Dr. Eves, uh, how has your research factored into this conversation in particular? How do you take your expertise in, in nanoparticle technology and, and combustion and apply it to what we're talking about here this morning? Uh, so a lot of it actually uh, relates to what uh, Paul was mentioning earlier is that, well, what do we do um, in the meantime between now where we're at where we have kind of a, you know, there is a increasing pace of uptake of EVs, but majority of consumers are still driving internal combustion engine powered vehicles. And even if they buy one today, it's still going to be for uh, quite a while longer. Um, my research actually focuses more on how do we uh, feed the uh, synthetic fuel synthesis process in such a way that it is a overall green um, process uh, to actually synthesize the fuels. Um, if I can get into a you know, discussion basically about what synth, um, synthetic fuels are, yeah. uh, talk about how they're made. Um, synthetic fuels have actually been around for quite a long time. They're actually nothing new. Um, there's been synthetic fuels that have used coal in the past or biomass or other solid feeds uh, to actually create these synthetic fuels. What we're probably talking about nowadays is actually what you would call e-fuels or electric synthetic fuels. Um, and now the feedstock for those, the reason it's so interesting is because it actually uses the carbon that is already in the atmosphere to drive this whole production process. So if you have, say, an ability to suck, say, the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, you then combine that with some hydrogen, um, you can produce that hydrogen in different ways. Well, that gives you what's called syngas. And eventually that syngas can be converted into either gasoline or gasoline equivalent, diesel equivalent, or even a jet fuel equivalent. Now, the question is, I said carbon dioxide, you can get that carbon feedstock from the air, but where do we get this hydrogen? Well, right now, the way we get hydrogen is by electrolysis process. We take water, run electricity through it, we split that into hydrogen and oxygen. Very, very energy intensive. So this whole synthetic fuel process, because of this, actually takes an incredible amount of energy to be able to produce these synthetic fuels. And actually, if you compare it on an energy basis, comparing to just um, charging an electric battery, it's about a four to one which is somewhat problematic for the overall um, long-term using synthetic fuels. But what I'm actually interested in my research is where do we get this hydrogen feedstock? And in Canada, you know, we have tons of natural resources. We have tons of natural gas, tons of other potential um, fossil fuel-based feedstocks. If we could somehow separate, and there are people working on this, separate the hydrogen and carbon in hydrocarbons, so we can turn the carbon, instead of turning the carbon dioxide, which is a big concern, uh, obviously, for, cli for climate change, if instead we could turn that into valuable products, uh, different nanomaterials, uh, different nanoparticles, uh, potentially even something called graphene, which is a very, very cool material that is essentially if you take, you know, your graphite in your carbon pencil and you sliced it one atom thick, that is graphene. It's actually discovered in 20. 10 and has um, won the Nobel Prize, the person who um, discovered it. If we can find a way to take our natural resources and convert it into hydrogen and then a useful carbon product that isn't carbon dioxide, um, 
from that is actually one of the key things that might drive this uh, synthetic fuels and making it uh, undergo maybe more widespread adoption. Nick, how so, far away are we from all of this? Like, is, is this purely theoretical <laughs> at this point or is, is some of this stuff happening already? So in terms of stuff that I talked about in terms of the, you know, splitting the um, uh, natural gas into say carbon hydrogen components, that is in more or less the, the theoretical stage. If you're talking about the carbon capture and using electrolysis to split water, that is actually being put into practice right now. Um, there's a fairly um, large collaboration between Porsche and I forget the company's name um, in Chile right now, or Chile, I should say. And they're actually opening a plant to do exactly just this. Um, they predict by 2026, they'll be able to produce, I believe it was half a billion liters of this synthetic gasoline. Now, half a billion sounds like a lot. Um, if you ever heard the term drop in the bucket, um, <laughs> this is probably the uh, most appropriate um, use of that um, saying ever. Um, if you look at yeah. the U.S., they use 120 billion liters a year. Yeah, I think um, Porsche's, so, uh, sorry, I think Porsche's uh, uh, use for that fuel that they produce uh, in 2026 is that it will power all their racing cars and their customer race cars, and it will put one tank of fuel into every car that comes off the end of the production line. Um, yeah. And er, apart from that, it's all been used up. Yeah, I've been I've been I've been watching, uh, you know, Paul and Andrew uh, listen to you talk, Nick, and, and both of you are <laughs> nodding along as he's as he's going. So I want to give both of you oh, yeah. a, a chance to comment on it. But, Paul, is this something when it comes to to auto enthusiasts and when it comes to people working in the industry, is this something that you think most people are? Is this an initiative or a theory that most people are, are aware of? Would you characterize it maybe even as a developing trend? Oh, uh, yes. There's no doubt that people for a long time have uh, wished for a carbon neutral fuel, which will enable them to drive the cars that we've got on the road, partly because, yeah, as you say, auto enthusiasts on the whole like petrol engines. Uh, although that's probably auto enthusiasts who haven't driven an electric car because they're also pretty, pretty cool things to drive. Um, but also, it's just a great idea to be able to run the cars that we've got sustainably rather than throw them all down a hole in the ground and build a load of new ones. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I, I, we have a question coming up from a young real talker in just a second that'll tap into that. But but I'm curious, uh, Andrew, for your take on this. I mean, you're, you're director of the EV Association of Alberta. But but correct me if I'm wrong. If there are amazing developments when when it comes to what you you know you might describe as a green fuel or an, or an e fuel or a, these synthetic fuels, does it does it in a, in a way hurt or take away from or decrease the demand of of the purists understanding of what an EV is? Sure. Um, I think we, our group is, recognizes that there is no singer, single silver bullet on where we're going to go forward with this. There is, like Nick is saying, there is going to be a transitional period. We just can't just go cold turkey, just like that, get everyone driving EVs. And EVs currently are not a fit for every single driver behind the wheel. Um, our prime goal is really just to reduce our environmental impact. And we see EVs as part of that solution, a big part of that solution. Um, so, yes. 
Okay, uh, we want to, we, we absolutely love this, and we're going to be doing more of this on the show, uh, allowing audience members or inviting, let me say, audience members to chime in and provide questions for our panels. And Paul, this one's coming straight to you, although we will get all three of you to chime in. Paul will come to you first. This is 13-year-old real talker Brady. Hi, Mr. Horrell. Hello, My Brady. name is Brady. I am a huge fan of Top Gear. I love all your work. And my question for you is what's the future of the internal combustion engine away from the private racetracks and the bajillionaires? Will the average car enthusiast be able to enjoy the internal combustion engine 30 to 40 years in the future? Or will it just be with those private racetracks and bajillionaires? I appreciate that from Brady. Paul? I don't think uh, that internal combustion engines will be legislated off the road. We will still be able to enjoy them. I mean, uh, one of the things I always say is there are millions of horses in Britain. None of them are used for transport. You know, there are there are <laughs> thousands of sailboats. Uh, there are thousands of hot air balloons. There are, you know, there are all sorts of <laughs> means of transport that are not means of transport. You know, they're recreation. And I think that is the way uh, the internal combustion engine will go. You'll still be able to use it as a kind of as a low as a low mileage thing, just something that you take out on the weekend. And if you've got a boring commute, you know, do it in a in a more more environmentally clean car. Mm. Andrew, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that um, everything's going to take time to switch over. And um, the as far as the auto racing you know industry is concerned, my brother's actually was part of it for many years. He worked for various Formula One teams, um, and even he's seen the uh, transition going towards electric. You know, you've got the Formula E uh, series, for example, uh, that's set up about five years ago. That's got a big following now. Um, so yeah, so nothing stays the same, and things transition, and you know that's part of it. Nick, do you have a professional or personal opinion on Brady's question? Um, I personally would love to still be able to enjoy an internal combustion engine in the 30 to 40 years from now. Uh, that's what got me into mechanical engineering and down this uh, career path. Um, for the sake of the planet, though, I kind of agree with Paul and Andrew is that you know, the, the, the internal combustion engine is not dead. However, the role of it is going to continue to decrease over the years, and, and simply because we have we have to address climate change. Yeah. Um, whether it's going to be on the time scale of which governments are currently uh, predicting and legislating, I don't know. I, I know how to burn the fuels. I don't really know <laughs> everything else surrounding it around that. Um, but I I think it might be a longer road than people are anticipating, which is why looking at other solutions is so important. Synthetic fuels being uh, one of them, one of the potential options. Uh, Dr. Eves, what do you mean? I, I, I love the personal stories. For me, it helps, it helps the audience and me better understand the perspectives guests bring to the table. You essentially say uh, internal combustion engines or is what got you into mechanical engineering. You a huge car guy? Uh, yeah, I, I like to think of myself as that, um, you know, mostly a lot of it was driven that my dad, you know, born in the muscle car era, he, uh, he had a Dodge charger. Um, the thing got about eight miles per gallon by the time he was done modifying it. Um, you know, we always said one day we'd, uh, restore a classic car together. And, you know, personally, I think there's no better sound than a, you know, a revving V8. I, I, I just love it. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I kind of realize it, it, it can't be that way forever, um, you know, for what we have to do for the uh, planet. So, you know, for, for someone who's in internal combustion engine research, loves the internal combustion engine, 
you know, I think it's a pretty clear story if I'm also recognizing the fact that, you know, things have to change. So, mm. Paul, there's. I think it's worth. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Paul. Sorry, go on. No, please. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's worth looking at why we might use these different uh, forms of propulsion in different circumstances. So, why why would you have an electric vehicle? The answer is, as 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 you say, that it's the most efficient way of using one unit, one kilowatt hour of electricity to drive two three kilometers. Um, you can't drive anything like two, three kilometers if you put that electricity into producing synthetic, synthetic fuel. But the trouble with electricity is you can't actually transport it. You know, you can't mm. put it on a boat and carry it um, from the desert to, 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 to Canada um, or from the desert to Europe. So the idea with the synthetic fuel is that where you have excess uh, renewable electricity, for example, the Porsche project is down in Patagonia where there's loads and loads and loads of wind and no people. So you put up some windmills, you generate the electricity, you make the fuel, you put the fuel in a tanker and you ship it to where the cars are. Um, and it, it's the same in the Arabian desert. You know, there will be a, a, the prospect of huge solar farms that again can generate the electricity and produce the synthetic fuel, possibly Northern Canada too. It's pretty windy up there and there aren't mm. many cars. Um, so, the idea of, the, of, of manufacturing synthetic fuel is to use renewable energy where we couldn't otherwise use it. And that gives us a pathway to keeping the combustion engine cars going for some of yeah. the time or in some locations and for some uses, particularly using the old cars. And then we use the electricity that's generated close to the cars to power the cars in the most efficient possible way, which is drive an electric battery car. Hmm. Uh, I, Andrew, this, you might roll your eyes at this, but you know, I, I'll be honest when, when it comes to changing people's minds, I mean, I'm so impressed, um, at so many things about EVs. A couple friends have taken me out in their Teslas. Uh, the model X's in particular are just remarkable. I mean, I tell people they're like street bike fast. Uh, the acceleration on these cars, the performance is, is like really nothing. I've, I mean, I've, I've had a chance yeah. to drive a Ferrari once in my life. And I would say that the, the performance is, is, is relatively comparable though paul may take issue with that he's the expert let me make my point quickly and then i'll get you all to chime in i'm the proud owner of a love classic cars and we've got a, a 65 cadillac with that that 7.2 liter 429 v8 <laughs> and just when i when i start that thing up and it just you know it's just but you know what i'm talking yeah. about is just this fabulous experience driving this car but if you were to have me you know in front of a jury maybe make a justification for the for the emissions of that car for the amount of fuel that it uses or for its environmental impact aside from the fact that i do pay carbon tax on the fuel i put into it i might not be able to justify it outside of all these factors like how it makes me feel and how it sounds is that the hump that you think the EV industry needs to get over? It's not necessarily a logical one. It's almost more of an emotional connection that people have. Yeah. And I think as part of one of the things that we haven't done very well, or the OEMs haven't done very well in selling electric cars is recognizing that cars are an emotional purchase. You know, when they advertise on TV, um, they, they go for, uh, lots of other things other than just the car itself because it is an emotional purchase and um with the there's always going to be a place you know for the time being for you know that raw sound you know that we're so used to but i think once people actually get behind an electric car and actually experience electric drive for the very first time they get it 
Like the other day, my, my daughter had a, a birthday party and I took their friends home afterwards. They knew about the Tesla, but they'd never been in it. And uh, we we're at a stoplight. Okay, girls, it's about to turn green. And then I showed them the acceleration. I got their attention straight away. They didn't care about any sound from the car, just being thrown in the back of the seat. Um, yeah, they were very interested in driving that and <laughs> taking another ride again very soon. Is is that it, Paul? People just need to, you know, the equi- the driving equivalent of walk a mile. People just need to drive a mile in an EV to be converted. Yeah. I mean, who are you know who are these people of whom we speak? There are it, car enthusiasts. There are gearheads. There are people like me, you know, who like to hear the engine. But and you with your Cadillac. But the fact is, most people just don't, you know. And and a hundred years ago, Rolls Royce wanted to make a perfectly smooth, silent car, and a hundred years later. They had a car that was less smooth and less silent than a 2010 Nissan Leaf. You know, the fact is, electric cars are what most people want. They're smooth and silent. Mm. There's no step as they shift gear. They just move away exactly as you ask them to without any fuss. And, you know, for most people, that's the sign of a good car. You know, uh, my my daughter, the first time I took her out of Porsche 911, you know, when I changed gear, she was she was horrified at the sound of it. And she said, Dad, 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 stop moving that noise lever. <laughs> she thought the sole purpose of the lever by next to my knee was to make the car louder and more scary sounding. And she didn't care for it. She does now. But yeah, she didn't know. <laughs> you know, this is like but it's noise is such a thing. And I people are going to roll their eyes at me. Like, I'll be honest with you guys. Full disclosure. You will hear from people that, that live in urban centers and they get all upset, you know, at people in their Harley Davidsons and their muscle cars and, and all the tuner cars for making all this noise. And I'm always the guy that's like, if you don't want to hear the noise, don't live on don't live on cruising strips like that's I've, I've been somewhat unsympathetic <laughs> and not everyone has appreciated my attitude there. But I am a noise guy. I, I had a, a chance to drive an AMG Mercedes for a while. I didn't own it. But you guys know, Paul, you in particular, it's got a button right there on the dashboard with the with the, the picture of the exhaust and you can push the button and it makes it twice as loud. And I didn't yeah. do it in circumstances where it needed to be loud. I did it every time I started the car. That's just the way I'm hard. I mean, the, my, my <laughs> colleagues here in the studio are rolling their eyes. They're getting my, they can't even believe it. Like I am that jerk. But it's a who thing. Is it's this a, child? It's a, who is this man child? But it's a thing. Yeah. No, it is. But I, I think you'll find, as your colleagues in the studio would attest, it's a bit of a minority sport these days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. We've got an interesting question here from Kim on our live chat who wonders, you know, are our landfills going to be filled with internal combustion vehicles? I mean, that'll kill the climate. What's a reasonable transition plan to EV? What about conversion kits? Uh, Doctor, is this is this in your wheelhouse? Can, Can we talk to you about this? I mean, ideally, could you get to a point? I mean, let me ask you on two fronts. Number one, a conversion kit to take a 65 Cadillac to electric. And when we talk about synthetic vehicles, pardon the stupid question, but can I just pull up to a tank and and put that fuel into the same car that's been burning other fuel for 65 years? Yeah, so I think I'll answer the second question because that's a bit more in my wheelhouse than maybe the conversion kit. The idea is that for this concept of synthetic fuels to work, um, they have to be processed enough such that they are 100% drop-in. From the consumer standpoint, whether I pull up to a gas station, whether it's selling regular gasoline, whether it's selling a synthetic gasoline, the, the, the end um, experience for the consumer filling up their tank is that they won't know the difference. Um, and, and that's actually technologically capable now. 
and you know with 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 today's tech technology and and that's why it's you know there is an advantage to the synthetic fuels in that consumers don't have to really change their behavior they can just pull up to the gas station like they usually would get get the synthetic fuel and go on um one of the other interesting things about synthetic fuels gasoline and diesel when we talk about gasoline diesel fuel it's not like it's just made of one substance one component it's actually mixed up or made up a wide array of different compounds and some of those compounds aren't very nice and they can lead to other somewhat nasty emissions coming out the tailpipe these synthetic fuels they tend to be in a much uh, narrower range in terms of the compounds in terms of the composition of the actual fuels what this means is that is that they tend to burn a lot cleaner now you can't get around the carbon dioxide if you have a combustion process you're going to produce carbon dioxide but you can reduce the secondary emissions which also have or what we would consider emissions from the combustion process and so you don't have as much uh, particulate matter formation and that's you know one big thing in terms of climate change particulate emissions are one of the second largest contributors um, to climate change be after carbon dioxide um, and so I don't really have a good answer for, for, for the conversion thing, but in terms of synthetic fuel, the idea is yes, it's just a drop in. Um, in terms of consumers, they don't really notice the, the, the difference. And I think when we talk about, um, you know, mention is the internal combustion engine just for noise. Well, there is a market that legitimately does need it for what for their daily you know, work activities. Um, you can imagine someone who's maybe a tradesperson, they're hauling their heavy equipment, on their big truck from point A to point B on the job site. You know, if you look at the range of electric uh, vehicles when they are heavily loaded, um, it can go down quite dramatically. So it's not, you know, this whole synthetic fuel thing, the bridge, it's not just for the motorhead who wants to hear the engine roar. There are actually, now I would agree that most of these are niche and 95% of consumers ranges away from an electric vehicle nowadays is more than sufficient for their needs but there is a part of the market that actually do, do and will still need internal combustion engines not even including heavy duty transport um you know tractor trailers marine shipping mm. etc et et so don't really have a good answer for, for the conversion kit one but yes in terms of the synthetic fuels the idea is just drop it in consumer doesn't notice a difference and you go well let me let me uh, i'll circle back on that with conversion kits paul i want to ask you i mean who's leading the way on that and, and and what do you see uptick like that looking like where's consumer demand uh how does that price out i guess it obviously depends on the type of vehicle we're talking about and andrew i know you're in the business of answering objections <laughs> and so we'll give you a chance to chime in on this as well really sure. quickly i'm, I'm going to take a break to remind you i mean it seems like a, a pretty fitting time to to remind you that our friends at sherwood and st albert dodge jeep have the best selection of the Jeep lineup in the entire province of Alberta, and that includes the brand new Jeep Wrangler E. Uh, I had a chance to check it out. It is a remarkable vehicle. This thing switches back and forth between electric and internal combustion. I don't understand how it works. I'm not here to explain it to you. And even if I tried, none of you would trust me because you shouldn't. I'm not a scientist, but I did drive it. And I can tell you, it is a remarkable experience. The Jeep Wrangler E with that classic styling, but looking forward, of course, with the technology it brings to the table. You can take a look at it, take one for a test drive, pick one up from our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge Jeep. 
The following paid advertisement does not necessarily represent the views of Ryan Jesperson, Real Talk, or Relay Communications Group Incorporated. It's time for a fresh perspective. Edmonton deserves a leader who will work for you and with you. Someone who understands the strengths of our community to do things better and faster. Cheryl Watson has built her career on results, not promises. On October 18th, vote Watson for mayor and together let's build a city that works. This ad is paid for by the Watson for mayor campaign. Friends, this is the last day that you can get in on the 44-year tradition that is the Alberta Beef Roundup at Friesen Brothers. That's right. It wraps up today, September 23rd, but you've still got time to check them out online at Friesen.com and place your order. This is a full hip, a whole hip of fresh Alberta beef, custom cut, Per your wishes, whatever you tell the real butchers at Friesen Brothers to do with regards to the amount of ground round you want, stewing cubes, roasts, steaks, what have you, that's what they'll deliver. Fresh and wrapped, ready for your freezer, a limited time offer. It's the Alberta Beef Roundup at 16 Friesen Brothers stores across the province of Alberta. For more than 65 years, they have been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned Find them at Friesen.com. A great conversation with Andrew Bell, director of the Electric Vehicle Association of Alberta. Paul Horrell, leading international motoring journalist with more than 30 years experience, of course, with Top Gear. And Dr. Nick Eaves at the University of Windsor, an expert in combustion and nanoparticle technology. There's a lot of talk right now, fellas. We've got an engaged audience here, and I know that they're all in on this conversation. Our live chat right now, a lot of talk about lithium. That's one of the environmental concerns that I know people have around the batteries that are in these EVs. Andrew, I'm sure you hear this all the time. What's the message on the not negligible environmental impact that comes along with EVs, in particular the batteries? Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with the construction of the batteries. A lot of people assume that because it's called a lithium battery, it's full of lithium. It's not. It's only a small proportion of the battery. Most of the lithium that goes to the marketplace is from a very lengthy uh, evaporation process. Anything that your um, viewers, uh, listeners have seen online where it's suggested that lithium is dug up solely from mines, that's part. That's not true. It's part of the concerted effort to put a lot of misinformation out there about EVs. Uh, millions of dollars are spent, you know, um, by those interests that benefit from doing so to put down, uh, slow down the eventual adoption of EVs. Um, now there is no free lunch. Um, you need you need you know the batteries to make the car go right. So the but all of the components that are in the batteries are also used on everyday items that we use today. So if you're gonna have a very serious concerns about electric car batteries, then why are we not so concerned about the batteries in our laptops, our cell phones, every the equipment that we're using on this podcast today? Mm. Uh, yeah, please don't, sh- please don't shine the light on us. That's very inconvenient for us. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, I don't need the heat, all right? <laughs> yeah, but it is it's true. You know, it, it, there is definitely concerns, but 
the lithium is getting less of a, an issue because the industry is kind of moving away from that. Same with cobalt. You know, cobalt stabilizes the, the batteries. Um, cobalt is horrifically expensive. So uh, cobalt will be phased out. Um, China is probably uh, the leader in the world for EVs uh, as far as numbers are concerned. Um, Tesla has entered that uh country and uh, producing many of these already, they use no cobalt in their batteries. The Chinese government said no. Hmm. Paul, this has been par- part of your work. I mean, this has been part of how yeah. you've approached this at, at Top Gear is, is I, I don't know if you prefer the phrase myth busting, but but I've you know, we know that you've taken this on with regards to, you know, EVs being hard to charge or they can't go very far. Or they're pricey or they don't hold their value. Can, can we ask yeah. you to get into that? Uh, well, starting with the starting with the battery thing, uh, they do use more lithium than a than a mobile phone does because hey, you know they're just bigger and heavier to be driven along. However, um, uh, the car business isn't isn't stupid, and these minerals are, as you say, expensive, and so they will find a way of using less of them and of recycling them. Now, at the moment, we don't have to recycle the batteries because uh, there are very few of them coming on the market there are very few old batteries because hey it turns out that the, the batteries in early electric cars didn't turn into a one-ton brick after yeah. one year like you might have expected them to if you had a 2010 mobile phone um they lasted and lasted and lasted and so they're not they're not actually available for recycling yet but they soon you know they they eventually will be and then the car business will uh, is working now on on recovering those um, those metals in the batteries because that's a cheaper way of getting hold of them for the next generation of batteries to put into the new cars than it would be to uh, to get the stuff from uh, from from raw materials. Um, and it's interesting to note that the the man who basically invented the Tesla, J.B. Straubel, he was responsible for all their developments in terms of batteries, motors, electronics, driver assistance, all of that stuff. He left Tesla a couple of years ago to start up a battery recycling company. And uh, if he succeeds, and I don't doubt he will because he's one of the smartest men on the planet, (laughs) um, we will have a recycling network that will also be able to recycle the the other electronic waste that we all tip into the ground at the moment, all the old phones, laptops, uh, and uh, and and you know uh, communication and uh, entertainment equipment. So um, you know one of the things about the car business is that it is it is one of the most inspected and 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 most transparent businesses around. And uh, you know, as we know from the Volkswagen diesel scandal, if they get up to any jiggery pokery, they're found out. Um, and so they you know they're going to have to be clean on this, and it's economically viable for them to be clean. It's, it, it makes more sense to to recycle the metals than it does to uh, to dig up new ones. And so um, that's what they'll do. Uh, if you want me to bust a few myths about <laughs> car charging and stuff like that, I'm happy to. But I think uh, because I only know the UK situation very well, I might <laughs> I might hand over to control to your local experts on that. Well, uh, it, if it, I may, it, it, and, uh, it looks to me. Uh, I, sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes there, but it, it looks to me, Andrew, like you were eager to respond to something Paul just said. Oh, I just uh, agreed with everything he was saying, you know. Um, <laughs> well, that's boring. That's boring for a round table. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, Paul hit it right nail on the head, really. Are you a pa- yeah. Paul? Let me back to you for a second. I'd be curious for all your just I mean, this really doesn't have anything to do, you know, doctor with your research or anything like that. But Paul, were you a little surprised that Volkswagen, I mean, aside from paying some heavy fines, uh, but I mean, compared to their revenues, I'm not sure they were that heavy. Were you surprised that Volkswagen kind of 
dodged a bullet when, when it came to the court of public opinion. Like it's still a strong mm-hmm. brand. Completely. I still, you know, the, people yeah, are still completely. buying Volkswagen. I mean, I'm no, you know, I know I'm saying nice things about some aspects of the motor industry, but on the whole, I'm pretty suspicious of them. And, you know, one of the things that came out of the Volkswagen scandal uh, was that after they were starting to re- recall the cars, you know, people said to me, will my car run less well after the recall? Will my car use more diesel after the recall? Will my car be less reliable after the recall? Will my car be worth less after the recall? You know, not one of them said, will my car poison your child less after the recall? Mm. You know, people just, and this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't, I don't think a bad reflection on Volkswagen, Mm. although Volkswagen did lie and cheat and poison our children, but it's a bad reflection on the public. You know, the public have shown a notable failure to give a crap about some very important issues here. Yeah. Nailed it. Do either of you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, just that if people are not fully aware of what happened with Dieselgate, there's an there's an excellent series on Netflix right now, um, mm-hmm. the Explained series, and one of them is totally on the VW scandal. That that uh, that explain series is amazing. But basically, yeah. cor- correct me if I'm wrong. You three, I mean, basically, what it was was Volkswagen was kind of cooking the books. Like they were they were they were pushing out totally. uh, like inaccurate yeah. and fa- they were lying. They were pushing out false yeah. emissions yeah. data about their cars. And, performance. and they weren't the one. They weren't the only ones that were doing it. Um, but they just did it in the most idiotic fashion, and, and <laughs> they had the misfortune to be the first that were found out. Huh. Um, and then, you know, they're doing some quite they're doing some good work on on um, electric vehicles now. You know, they bought out reasonably priced electric vehicles that are made with uh, uh, with uh, transparently sourced materials and renewable energy and all of that. You know, they will deliver a car to your driveway that that is effectively carbon neutral by the time it arrives there. Wow. Uh, Dr. Eves, we have a really interesting question from one of our audience members uses the handle some random guy uh, who muses uh, renewable electricity with synthetic fuel as the storage medium. Could it work? Well, that's kind of that's kind of the entire idea. And I think Paul was really articulating that in that if you have an area in the world where there is an abundance of this renewable electricity, whether it be wind solar, uh, what what have you, it's not very easy to transport it. So the idea is you need to convert that into something um, that you can ship across uh, the ocean or ship wherever you have to. And if you look at the um, synthetic fuel, instead of looking at it as a hydrocarbon fuel, you look at it as a renewable energy carrier. It is much easier to carry a liquid uh, fuel than it is to transport, um, you know, raw electricity uh, to towards it's needed to to be used. So, so that you know that viewer, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head. The whole gist behind synthetic fuel is if it's the, if the manufacturing process is all driven by renewable um, renewable energy sources, and if you take the carbon to form the hydrocarbons from the atmosphere then you can look at that entire process as a net zero or net zero carbon, um, a net zero carbon process. And that's kind of what, what we're going for. So yes, that's kind of hits it uh, nailed directly on the head. Or um, one, one thing I, you know, that's kind of dear to my heart when you mentioned about the diesel gate um, for a lot of internal combustion engine researchers, it was actually um, somewhat upset setting what happened over that in, entire thing. Cause when you look at um if, if your goal is to reduce the amount of CO2 emitted into the atmosphere, which, which is our goal, and you compare gasoline to diesel engines, diesel is a superior technology. Yeah. However, with the caveat 
if it's treated with the proper after-treatment systems on the vehicle. Do you have a particulate filter? Do you have a selective catalytic reduction to reduce the NOx? Do you have a diesel oxidizer catalyst? So from an internal combustion engine research, it's kind of sad that this diesel gate kind of more or less killed um, the diesel engine in terms of for light, light use. Um, because when you look at the actual technology, even if you compare gasoline direct injection, which is now taking over for most um, gasoline vehicles now, gasoline direct injection actually produces more of those particulate emissions that I mentioned, which are also very bad for um, in terms of climate forcers, also very bad in terms of human health, they're cancerous. Um, and, and, and so it's just a little upsetting that that technology got thrown away because of some companies that were being mm. unscrupulous. Because if yeah. you look at a properly outfitted diesel um, internal combustion, a vehicle driven by a diesel internal combustion engine, its emission profile are actually superior to what we have now in terms of gasoline tech technologies. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, what Volkswagen was trying to do was essentially sell diesel engines and fiddle them so that they thought they, they, they didn't need that expensive after-treatment equipment. Well, they um, completely bypassed but, it. There was, a, yeah. there was something in the engine computer that said, if you're running an emission test, don't put it through the emissions yeah. reduction system. Um, and if, you know, just because of the RPM that it was running at the load, it could figure out, oh, I'm doing an emission test now. I better activate all my emissions reduction uh, strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, just, it's just to me as an internal combustion engine researcher understands that the main goal is reduction in CO2. It's just a little bit upsetting that we kind of moved away from diesel because it is actually the superior tech technology is just the, you know, the publicity around it was just horrid. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That's so shady. It is so <laughs> shady. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, let me ask you, I want to ask all three of you this, but but as we uh, uh, near the end of this time has flown and we're so grateful for your time, uh, all three of you. But but Andrew, I'm, I'm curious to know, and, and I'll ask each of you, what is the biggest hurdle standing in the way of of, you know, more mainstream adoption of either EVs or, or, you know, doctor, if you want to talk about synthetic fuels, whatever, I mean, I'd, let's talk about more sustainable modes of transportation. In past, I know that range has been a big one. I know that reliability in winter has been a big one. Price mm. has been a big one. What about things like charging stations? What about the, the convenience factor? I mean, you can fill, I can fill up my car, you know, in 90 seconds or two minutes with gas. If I'm going to charge my car, I think I have to go for lunch, right? While it, while it charges. What are the biggest hurdles that are standing in the way? Uh, I think uh, fast charging networks, you know, particularly in our province here in Alberta, um, there's over close to 200 charging stations in Calgary now and over 100 in Edmonton. So Calgary is ahead of us uh, here in Edmonton. Um, But really, most of the charging is done at home. Like, I feel like I'm in a Groundhog movie. Every every time I wake up, my car is full. It's, it's, it's all right. It's waiting for me. We're ready to go. So I just treat like an iPhone. I just plug it in when I get home from work and I forget about it. And it takes about just a little over an hour to replace what I use that day. And, um, every now and then I will do a long distance trip and there's a fast charging network in place, you know, that says that's held my needs so far, but, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario for the consumer and the manufacturer. The manufacturer doesn't want to make all these EVs if the customers are nervous about a charging network not being there, you know, for them because you know, they're so used to that long range with gasoline, you know. So the batteries are getting better, but it'll take time. So 
yeah, I, charging infrastructure is definitely really important. Andrew, in, any chance I have to, uh, no pun intended, but to plug uh, one of our, you know, important and beloved sponsors, I do. And my understanding <laughs> is that, and I would love to hear the details of this. I've, I've heard some people sure, say yeah. that, you know, it costs them between seven and nine dollars or something like that. If they if they plug their car in and charge it from empty the battery all the way up to full. My understanding is that you've actually is this true partnered with Kubi Energy and you're essentially I mean, aside from install costs, obviously you're charging your car with sunlight. Is that right? Yeah, I'm driving on sunshine. So we um, bought Tesla stock in the early years, uh, basically $27 a share. Mm. And uh, we cashed out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hindsight's a wonderful thing. I wish it did more. But uh, we now have a lake lot, which will be a eventual retirement home. And uh, we had Kubi Energy uh, put out a nice size solar array. Uh, So basically when we're out there, my car is being charged by sunshine. Amazing. Uh, Dr. Eves, what do you see as the biggest hurdle right now? So we, it was very interesting about in 2019, right before the pandemic, um, every year there's a, a meeting of all the combustion scientists in, in Canada. And one of the panel questions, we had this panel, the panel question is, you know, internal combustion engine versus an electric vehicle, what's, what's going to happen? And I agree with this as well. To me, the biggest hurdle is the being able to produce enough renewable electricity. As long as we're able to produce the renewable, like, like if everybody decided to drive electric vehicles tomorrow, everyone in, in the world, we don't have enough renewable energy. So what, what do we do about that? Hmm. Well, we could burn natural gas. We could burn coal. Um, if we're burning coal, we're actually further behind. So to me, the, in terms of the technologies there, it's, it's, it's technically feasible. We just have to increase our capacity for renewable energy. And once we do that, there really is no reason not to move towards electric vehicles. But again, I think the general gist of what all the panelists are kind of saying is that it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that that's going to take time. Yeah. Um, do I believe it's, you know, as I said earlier, do I believe it's going to be on the timescale of what governments around the world currently think? Maybe not. Um, but I do think it's going to happen. Paul, we'll give last word to you. Uh, well, I mean, on a very simple level, I do think that there is a, there is a, a, a on the part of the public, um, a fear of electric cars, which is unnecessary. And it's based on the premise that, as you say, it takes you five minutes to go and, to go and gas up your car. Um, and it might take, it might take hours to do it at a socket. But the point is, when your car's plugged in and you're filling it with energy, you are probably sleeping or working or, yeah, having lunch. Wow, <laughs> I like lunch. Um, but, but basically, you're, you, you know, you plug your car in when you're doing something else. Whereas filling your car with gas, you know, demands your full attention because you're hosing explosive liquid into a, into a pipe. Um so, you know, when people realize that, uh, that as Andrew says, the, the car's there ready for them, it's got 200 miles in the tank every morning, um, you know, the number of times when you, do, when, you, when, you, when you go more than 100 miles out and 100 miles back without stopping in a day, um, for most people, is, is fairly small. So, they, you know, they may well use these rapid chargers, um, you know, only half a dozen times a year. So, in a sense, you could say they only spend six hours a year recharging, um, you know, whereas they'll probably spend six hours a year gassing up their car, in fact. Um, their, their, their petrol cars. So when people overcome that kind of conceptual hurdle, they find electric cars easier, easier to own. And when they find electric cars e- easier to own, then you know, more infrastructure will be put in. 
um, and so the thing will snowball and renewable energy supplies will find it economic to 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 put up more windmills you know the whole thing will the whole thing will will grow i mean already in the uk we've got enough windmills to uh, power you know 10 million electric cars we don't have 10 million electric cars we won't for a long time um and uh we will we will continue to install renewables which is currently the cheapest form of energy in the uk it's cheaper than it's cheaper than gas it, gas energy gas electricity it's cheaper than nuclear you know off we go that's paul horrell uh i'm going to call you paul a world-renowned automotive journalist because you are with the wild i said that on the cv i sent you (laughs) (laughs) doesn't matter it made it through our fact checkers pal so congratulations (laughs) it made it on air you can read more about what paul does at topgear.com and of course you can follow his entire team on twitter at bbc underscore top gear uh dr nick eaves who brought it this morning out of the university of windsor a phd out of the u of toronto and a research associate out of the university of cambridge an expert in combustion and nanoparticle technology and a good friend of the show andrew bell it's nice to reconnect with you andrew we haven't spoken in a while but but it's been my pleasure to talk to you over the course of years and our conversations have always been different uh as technology evolves and and there's more uptake on evs uh with regards to consumers charging infrastructure etc i hadn't heard though that you had bought tesla stock at 27 bucks or i would have had you buy me lunch already andrew (laughs) bell with the electric vehicle association of alberta you can find them online at albertaev.ca to the three of you thanks for this i've learned a whole lot today i know our audience has as well thank you thanks for this great conversation um I see there's there's a lot of chatter going on in in, uh, in the live chat, and, I, and I'm going to be curious, uh, Sarah, in particular, to see what our inbox looks like when the podcast lands a little bit later on in the day. Uh, real talkers, we always want to hear from you. Uh, like I like I like hearing these real life stories. I mean, this this these are people that are like, this is what it's like for us right now. This is not theory. This is not hypothetical. You know, Tom chiming in. He says Southern Alberta is great for charging stations. He says we have more than we need so far. Tom says it takes me about 45 minutes to charge my car when on a long range trip. And he says, I tend to need one or maybe two stops when traveling uh, your Beamer, your EV. Uh, <laughs> I just can't Could help you just it. lead with EV and maybe. <laughs> no, I love it. And it's such a, it's a cool little unit. What's it called again? It's like the one series or something. What's it's it called? I, it's an I three An I three. It's a cool, like it kind of has a bit of a smart car vibe to it. It kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. So how long, so if you like you have, you have an internal combustion vehicle, correct? Like if you're, if you're driving to, to Kelowna, uh, would you would you drive your your I three or would you would you like because I guess you could get in a position. I mean, I've everyone's felt the anxiety on a long road trip where you you should have filled up with gas and you didn't. And you're at like an eighth of a tank and you're hoping you can get to the next gas station. I would imagine it could be exacerbated if you're talking about an EV. So how, how do you manage that? Yeah, uh, I refer to that as range anxiety. Yes, so it, just, it's a real thing, though. It's a real thing. I've gotten like neck cramps. Yeah, because <laughs> I've been worried about it. So all honesty, full transparency, I owned a Nissan Leaf, which is 100% electric. And I owned it for about a year. And I struggled because it was right. I bought it right when the pandemic hit. And I was feeling claustrophobic. And I just wanted to get outside and into nature. I really wanted to go to the mountains. And sure. I couldn't. So I thought, oh, I'll rent a car. And I did that for a time. And then I was like, this isn't working for me, especially because in Alberta, we don't have the infrastructure. Yes, we have the ones that you can just go and plug in. But it's maybe a couple of... It, you can't get 
a good solid charge, a good solid boost. Yeah. Whereas in BC, when I went out into BC, I plugged it in and 20 minutes later, I was fully charged, which was incredible. Really? 20 minutes? Yeah. I was like, I went and I walked my dog because yeah. he's, he's got a walk. Um, and we were able to charge up and get on the road again. So I sold the Leaf, bought the i3 because what it has is it's called a, sorry, this is maybe too like wah, wah, nerd, um, but it it has the range extender, which is not actually an uh, an engine. So I don't have oil. Like I don't have to change the oil in my car. Is this an ad for BMW i3? Yeah, be careful. We're gonna <laughs> say, we're gonna have to send them an invoice. No, this is real. We got to be able to talk about right. I, I was just glad to be honest. It would have been quite inconvenient if Volkswagen was a sponsor. Yeah, totally. through the course of this conversation. <laughs> but I noticed like when when we talk about and and we're all needs nerds and geeks. Um, like to to let everybody know the reason and you can blame me. The reason why Real Talk is off the air tomorrow and Real Talk is off the air on Monday is because I am on my way to a four day fantasy hockey pool nerd fest so no one's more nerdy than me i'm going to go talk about pretend hockey teams that are made up of players that have no idea real life players that have no idea they're on our pretend teams so don't worry about being a nerd and a geek um but sam i see you i mean everybody i think most people that tune into this show know that you are trained as an engineer i mean that's your university education as an engineer and i was curious i wanted to ask you uh, when it comes to the conversion kits because you're just like me in the sense that you have an appreciation. You got an, uh, uh, when I say old, I say that as a term of affection, of a term of endearment. It's you, old. You've got a cool old pickup, and you've got a really cool old convertible, right? Like an early '80s Buick or something. Early like that. '80s Buick, which only has a 307 in it, so I'm got a little bit of uh, engine envy. Oh, well, that's yeah. okay. We, we, we still, you know, every engine, every motor's got to fit its scenario. And the Cadillac that I drive weighs about nine thousand pounds, so we need that V8 to get it around. But are you the type of guy that, like, are you? Would you seriously consider? If it wasn't cost prohibitive doing a conversion to an EV. I I think it depends on the vehicle, right? And and like part of me is just like I I, I like the engine that's in the Riviera. I, like full disclosure, it's not my car. Uh it's my dad's car. It's the car that I actually grew up with as a kid. Um but it, it's you know it, it's one of those things where it is so heavy, that car, that like the conversion would be tricky in it. Okay. And you know, and like cars like the ones that Sarah drives uh are and newer EVs are made of, you know, lighter alloys and a lot of plastic parts. And, you know, this this Riviera is like from the era where chrome bumpers and steel and when they converted them to convertibles, they added more steel to the body to make them uh, to make them stronger. Like this right. car is by all metrics too heavy. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there is now that being said, I love the idea of the classic cars converted. I love the idea of, of sort of giving them that new life. But this idea of synthetic fuels, which I, I actually first read about a couple of months ago, I think it was in Wired or something like that, probably Wired. Uh, you know, it, it's I think it's kind of that perfect bridge that we're looking for because it takes the onus off of the individual for yeah. shelling out to do that conversion and do that thing and do that whole process and just saying well here's a carbon neutral fuel you don't have to change anything yeah and i think that that's you know largely just a better scenario for everyone mm. uh your that partner, by the way, your partner Kelly is 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 right now on the live chat, and she says, "Jespo thinks our pickup is cool." Darn right, I think your pickup is cool. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the. I have, I have, I develop, and this is a, actually, I don't think that this is necessarily positive. I'm the type, and and I know you, I know the two of you are the exact same because I see evidence of it. 
I develop emotional connections with my vehicles. They mo- the majority of them have names. <laughs> like how many vehicles? The majority of them have names, <clears throat> and 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 to a fault, I will repair these vehicles to keep them around. And so I have a real appreciation for vehicles that exude character. Mm. And I think that your pickup is 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 pretty cool. Nicole, meantime, says well, Friday you're off. Friday, you will, Ryan, you better be doing double the trash talk next week. Nicole, we've got trash talk coming up in like ten minutes. Don't worry about it. It's just an early edition of trash talk, and we need to invite someone to eat their words before. That so we're about to ramp things up here on this Thursday edition of Real Talk. I'm getting some some advice from some of you. For example, Lawless as encouraging me to refrain from picking Josh Archibald on my fantasy team. Have you seen this story? The Edmonton Oiler expected to miss a minimum of forty to forty five games. So says GM Ken Holland because he's not getting vaccinated. Well, so he's consequences. Well, I mean, and and like these guys are leaving money. Like Josh Archibald's. I mean, it's all relative. I was going to say he's not getting rich. I mean, he is getting rich, but he, but he's not getting rich. He's not, you know, I mean, this is like for this guy, you've got a limited career window. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of people, they're going to say, really, Ryan, you think it's all about money? You know, this guy's taking a principled stand, not getting the vaccine. I just can't wrap my mind around it. But hey, National Hockey League, the Edmonton Oilers, and they're not the only team. Mm -hmm. There are other players as well that will not be taken to the ice. They won't be traveling. They won't be practicing with the team. They will not be in that room because they're not getting vaccinated. I still want to leave some time to talk to you all about this get COVID party out of Edson. Can you believe this shit? It's unbelievable. That coming up in just a second. But first, but first, veteran broadcasters do this all the time. That's called the hook. Here it is. Every Thursday, our friends at Prairie Catering open the door and and give us an opportunity to invite somebody to eat your words. Now, as if I need to tell you on Monday, millions of Canadians tuned in to broadcast coverage of the 44th federal election. And that included CTV's coverage. Pretty remarkable panel, in fact, that included former politicians and current ones. But we had Olivia Chow there. We had Navdeep Baines there. And of course, popular Alberta, former MP, former minister, and I think for a lot of people, maybe the best prime minister that Canada will never have or hasn't had yet, Ronna Ambrose. She was asked by host Lisa Laflamme what she made of Premier Jason Kenney's struggles in the polls and popularity, and here's what Ronna Ambrose had to say. He's had a tough time with a caucus that is divided on co- on, on, on COVID issues. Not easy to govern this group, I'm going to be really honest, and he is doing the best he can. And I think what he did is stand up and say, I made a mistake. I think he listened to certain people. Um, he tried to, at all times, listen to public health advice. And uh, he said he made a mistake. And now he's trying to do everything he can and to convince those who don't believe in a vaccine passport that it is the right thing to do and the right way forward. Um, and so we need to rally behind him and, and help him with that. Because but where there was are people he for that three just don't weeks. believe it. I, I really, that was kind of a confusing thing. Did he choose to disappear for three weeks uh, while the campaign was on? Or what was going on there? I think like a lot of premiers, the premiers like to stay out of a federal campaign. It's very unusual for, for premiers to come out and endorse one person over the other. It was about, about a health crisis yeah, in the did. province, though. Wouldn't that supersede um, the federal campaign for oh, the no. people of Alberta? Sorry, I, th- I thought you asked why wasn't he campaigning? No, but why wasn't he visible? He was on a vacation that he hadn't had any time mm-hmm. off in 19 months, so he took two weeks off. And uh, he, he's paying for that. Yeah, but just on that point that Rona mentioned about premiers not participating, 
That is true, but Jason is the exception. Uh, he was the architect in 2011 of the breakthrough in the 905 in Ontario for Stephen Harper, mm. really well regarded. And in the last campaign, he was campaigning for Andrew Scheer very aggressively in that 905 area where he had helped a lot of conservatives win those seats in the past. Ironically, every place he visited, they lost. And this time around, he no endorsement from him. So it's a very different Jason mm. Candy, not only in Alberta, but even in Ontario, where yeah. he was really revered uh, and well-regarded in some of those key writings that we lost in 2011. So it was a really tough goal for him, and I think he made the strategic decision not to get involved because at the end of the day, he did endorse Aaron O'Toole during the leadership race against Peter McKay. It was a pivotal endorsement, and I suspect he didn't want to get in the way. So that was Navdeep Baines kind of, I, I guess, doing my work for me when it came to why I think that this video was a no-brainer for this week's edition of this feature. I get that Ron Ambrose and Jason Kenny are very close friends. I mean, Alberta's premier was involved in her recent wedding. He stood up for her. So I get it. She stands up for him, so to speak, on the national broadcast. But what she had to say is just not believable. I mean, did he really do his best to listen to the science? Would you characterize his relationship with Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's chief medical officer of health, as a healthy one based on what we can see, based on all the information in front of us? And honestly, premiers staying out of the federal election, as former Minister Baines pointed out, this guy has had his fingers all over it up until he became a huge liability. So we were left with no choice but to invite former Alberta minister, former MP Rona Ambrose to eat your words. Of course, presented by our friends at Prairie Catering. Prairie Catering offers corporate catering for office meetings, in person or virtual. They can deliver. You can host business meetings and conferences at the stunningly beautiful Art Gallery of Alberta. From executive boardrooms to a state-of-the-art theater, they can host up to 300 people under normal circumstances. And right now, they're making sure that there are masked and distanced options, of course, including their staff, so events can go on observing public health regulations. You can get 20% off any rental space at the Art Gallery of Alberta for your next corporate function when you mention Eat Your Words on Real Talk, valid for 2021 rental dates. I had no doubt that the minute I said the word Edson, it was going to start a fire. And that's because a story broke yesterday and credit to City News. Uh, my former colleagues, like way back when, that's how my TV career got started with the scrappy team at City News breaking a story yesterday that Edmonton hospitals are filling up following a get COVID party in the town of Edson, which, if you don't know, is approximately two hours west of Edmonton on the way out to Jasper National Park. That's right. A get COVID party where people came together to, you know, get COVID. Now, why on earth would you do that? You may ask. Well, the idea is that herd immunity can be achieved if everybody gets everybody sick. Well, it turns out it didn't work out well. And many of the people that were at that get COVID party in Edson are now in Edmonton ICUs. I can't officially go on the record, but what I can tell you is that there is at least one instance that has had an absolutely tragic outcome. And we will report that in further detail when we can. I experienced feelings of anger. This is me trying to be somewhat diplomatic because we've had people on the show 
uh, like I think of Professor Tim Caulfield, the myth buster who has said we don't want to pile on or we, we don't want to be aggressive toward anti-vaxxers or the unvaccinated. We want to meet them at an area where we can have dialogue and start to understand and, and start to answer questions they may have in, in productive fashion. But I'm going to tell you what. When I read that kids cancer surgeries are being postponed, when I hear that adults can't have brain tumors removed and that those surgeries are being postponed because ICUs are full and because hospitals are absolutely tapped to the max because people are having get COVID parties, I'm getting to the end of what was already, to be honest, a bit of a short fuse. When it came to try to understand to this point why people aren't vaccinated. Now, I know that there's a few things we want to throw into the mix before I throw this to Sarah and Sam. I recognize that some people cannot get vaccinated. I recognize that there are roots of vaccine hesitancy that in many circumstances are cultural. And that's not something to be dismissed. I get it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that are actively trying to get sick to achieve herd immunity. It's not something they understand. It's not something they know how to do, because if you did, you would never be at that party. And quite frankly, parties like this are having deadly consequences. Sarah Hoyles, are you in a position where you can still? I said, I said, I'm getting to a point where I'm running out of reasons to be understanding, diplomatic, or otherwise. Where are you at when you hear about a story like this? Well, I just think back to hearing the story about Paul Brandt. And he, and he said, you know, I am going to deal with immunity and, and get immunity around having COVID. And, it's, and we heard from epidemiologists saying that is not how it works. You still need the vaccine because it, your immunity only, like it lessens over time. So it makes... It's, it's paramount that you still get the vaccine. So to me, I mean, the party was successful in that people got COVID. They got exactly what they wanted. So I don't know. I, I sympathize. No, I still have sympathy. I still have sympathy because it's like these people have the wrong information. Well, they have the wrong information. But at this point, I feel like you have to make an active effort to have the wrong information. The right information is being pounded home every single place that I see it. Yeah, but when our conversation yesterday around uh, AI and algorithms, they may not have access if they're if they're getting their information from Facebook and the like their algorithms are pointing them to that inf- to more information that confirms their their confirmation bias. You know, there were a lot of people that responded to my tweet, uh, and I'm not surprised. Every once in a while, you hit send on something where you go, yeah, I think this is going to resonate. I think we're going to maybe get some material for the show. And you know what a lot of people had to say, Sam, is they wondered if a news headline from last week where Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney said that the province was considering or exploring the idea that people that had had COVID, COVID survivors, let's call them, may have a natural immunity that could sub in in the context of a so-called vaccine passport or whatever we're calling it, the restrictions exemption program. And some people said to me, and I thought it was a really great point, they wondered if maybe that news headline coming straight from the premier of the province would influence or empower people like this that are having these get COVID parties. Where's your head at on the story? I, uh, I I have two takes on this story. Uh, the first of which is people are comparing these get COVID parties to get chicken pox parties, which are, you know, things that, that at a per- certain time, people don't do them anymore. But like, you know, one kid in the grade one class would have 
chicken pox and they'd invite their friends over and then they'd all get it and they'd run through their systems. And, you know, when you're a kid and when you get chicken pox at the time, you you take oatmeal baths and you play Lego for a week and like it just sort of runs its course. But COVID is not chicken pox. It is a very serious respiratory disease that will kill you. So that's point number one. Could point, kill you. Could, could kill, kill you. you. Yeah. Point number two is I... I'm my blood is boiling about this misunderstanding of what herd immunity is. You know, we have herd immunity against things like smallpox and measles and polio. And it's not because people got the disease and carry some sort of natural immunity to it. It's because a significant portion of the population got vaccinated and therefore it doesn't spread it doesn't carry it doesn't move through the population and i will point out that the entire concept of herd immunity is to protect the people that can't be vaccinated so you know this this notion of go get covid so it runs through your system and you're naturally immune completely flies in the face of this kim pg says you know some people still do have these chicken pox parties she says, trust me, it's it's equally stupid. What is that? Is that just basically Tinder? Is this a euphemism? Is that what the chicken pox party is? Is that what Tinder is? I don't know. Um, but let me say this, and I should clarify something as well. I tweeted uh, after Darcy Ropechen, who's the, the journalist for City News that, that broke this story yesterday out of Edson. Um, I did tweet that there are many reasons I didn't follow in my dad's footsteps and become a doctor. And among them, the fact that I'd have no problem refusing care to more morons like this group from Edson. Meantime, kids' brain surgeries are being canceled because hospitals are full. It's absolutely infuriating. I should clarify that also among the many reasons that I didn't follow in my dad's footsteps and become a doctor is because I didn't have the marks to get into med school. That's also a valid point that should be included in the debate. Uh, well, just weren't enough characters. Just weren't enough characters. I would have clarified right, that, that, yes, that yeah. there was no medical school in the country that was so desperate for enrollment that they were willing to overlook my 59% in math 30. 59% in math 30. This is a PSA to kids that are struggling right now with school that if you get a 59% in math 30 you can still make something of your life just not in a hospital I got 50 really like on the button. like on the button yeah. I don't know why I would have thought I'm, I'm stereotyping here Hoyles but but your attention to detail the way that you sort of tacked I mean people don't get to see behind the scenes uh what you bring to the show but like when Sarah got hired basically it was a bit of a rat's nest <laughs> Our production, our bookings, Sam was just along for the wild ride. We'd have, in some circumstances, guests would sign into the Zoom and just show up on the show and it would be news to Sam because I forgot to tell him there's another again. It was just an absolute disaster. And then you come in and we've got like, you know, Google Docs and all kinds of organization. I would have thought that you uh, in math would have been like, you know, 87 to 95 percent. Oh, man, I had tutors. I stayed like I did extra work. So you were trying. I was my mom didn't think I was, but I was trying. I really, really was. And my brain just doesn't work like that. Like, I, I just I can't seem to wrap my head around it. Um, so I always like, what's the tip? How do huh. we 
What do we do? Um, I, there's I don't know that and I don't even know if this is responsible. I hope it's okay to do this, uh, but it's it's being reported on our live chat. I've not confirmed it. I don't know, but you'll remember the la- the, the guy's last name, Eric. Uh, Eric was the guy that tweeted the the, the uh, CT scan of his brain tumor. Right. You remember that? And he had and this was that was a photo that just went viral. He basically said, "This is my brain tumor." Didn't they say it was like the size of a? It was like a decent sized tumor, the size of an egg or something like that. So I think they were comparing it to a grapefruit. A great. Really? Yeah. I mean, like fruit or an orange. Jeez, I mean, like, oh yeah, like a, like a. Uh, what do you call the oranges now? Is it mandarin orange? Is that okay? Mandarin to say? orange, yeah. Okay, I remember they used to be called something else. That's definitely not okay. Uh, mandarin orange is okay. Yeah, you guys are going. What? That's because you guys are in your thirties and I'm in my forties. They so, have been mandarin oranges my entire yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, they weren't always mandarin oranges in my life. Those who know know. But remember also when I used to dial phone calls, it used to be like da 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 da. So I do have an old school element to it. Eric Mulder. Eric Mulder. Kimberly is reporting on our live chat that Eric had his surgery yesterday, uh, which is absolutely amazing to hear. I do hope that that's true. Kimberly, I have no reason not to trust you. I appreciate you putting that into the ethos. Uh, I think that that's going to be an encouragement for everybody. Um, You can. uh, Daniel says he read my tweet and agrees wholeheartedly. There are a bunch of people that totally disagree with me, and that's fine as well. When we say we want to hear from you, we mean it. And we don't just want to hear from you if you agree with us. As a matter of fact, if you disagree with us, A lot of times it means a little bit more because we want this show to be a home for respectful disagreement, dialogue and debate. And that doesn't mean that we get together and and have church services, a small C, of course, that we don't just come together with someone preaching to you, you (laughs) lapping it all in without thinking about it and then going about your day. That's not the mandate of this show. It's not the purpose of real talk. In just a second, we're going to fire things up to wrap up this short broadcast week. But first, I want to remind you that this weekend, if you're looking for hot eats or cool treats our friends at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park are ready to hook you up that's right the dairy queens at baseline road westmount palisades nemeo and newcastle featuring as part of their fall lineup the pecan pie blizzard treat the pumpkin pie blizzard treat both of them topped with that whipped topping of course that's on top of that famous dairy queen soft serve you got the real crumbly brown sugar pie pieces and the crunchy pecans and the pecan pie pie blizzard and you've got real pumpkin pie pieces and nutmeg on top of that pumpkin pie blizzard treat you can find them both at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park hey this is the last time that we're going to have a chance to remind you about rugby sevens touching down in edmonton that's because it's coming up this weekend that's right september 25th and 26th rugby sevens comes to Commonwealth Stadium in what could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take in the festival atmosphere, the incredible spectator experience that is Rugby Sevens. It's presented by Explore Edmonton, a dynamic high-octane style. It features seven players per side playing seven-minute halves. It's described as fast and fun. It's for everyone. You can get your tickets at CanadaSevens.com. We want to let you know you've got to provide proof of full vaccination or a negative on-site COVID test. That's the requirements, and masks will be required if you're not in your designated seat. Of course, do 
to the event being outdoors, you can remove your masks when you get to your seat. They're offering right now single day ticket passes on sale. That means you can attend for as little as $60 for a full day pass. Again, at Canada7s.com. Our friends at Local Waste want to remind you, tis the season for yard cleanups, basement purges. You don't want to be doing that when it's minus 25. Why not get to localwaste.ca today, get in touch with the team, and ask them about solutions. You don't need the big, huge industrial bins all the time. Unless you do, they've got those too. But if you need a smaller bin picked up, delivered, taken all of the hassle out of that big job on your to-do list, Local Waste has been earning the trust. Integrity is their top priority for more than 25 years. Still family-owned at localwaste.ca. As we wrap up our broadcast week, each and every week, our friends at Local Waste give us an opportunity to, to blow off a little steam. It's a cathartic exercise we call Trash Talk! I know you won't be surprised to hear that we have a ton of emails to get to today. It starts with Ronan, who number one says cancer ronan i'm with you it's been a tough number of days but i know us real talkers are in it together but fuck cancer ronan says two bumbling morons have run our province into the ground besides this and by the way earmuffs kids this one's for mommy and daddy besides the pandemic cluster fuck there's a shit list a mile long that these assholes are responsible for the stupidest part is that people will still nail their flag to that ship in 2023, Ronan says, I honestly didn't think conservative voters in Alberta could muster up as many brain cells as they might need to form a critical thought, but I don't see evidence that it's happening. There's got to be at least two million heads full of those brain cells, right? Ronan says, I moved to Calgary from Ireland 11 years ago, expecting to live here for the rest of my life. After the last 12 months, I'm starting to doubt that I will. That from Ronan. What about this one from Ricky, who says, I felt so many different emotions over the last year and a half sadness joy they welcomed their first child to the planet in october congratulations ricky frustration anger and fear all this to say i'm done i'm done with the way the pandemic's been handled here it's nothing but a disgrace i'm done with the government bungling its response at every turn causing unneeded stress loss of life and quality of life it's not been expressed by government experts that this amount of loss was avoidable why not he says what I'm calling for is the resignation of the premier and the chief medical officer of health and schools to be supported in the fight against COVID. I sincerely hope this does not fall on deaf ears and that my points are considered and maybe read on trash talk. Ricky, thanks for chiming in. This one from Tanya, who says an 18-year-old died this week from COVID, completely preventable and utterly unforgivable. Second, we got these turds out of Edson with the COVID party to achieve herd immunity, clogging up ICUs in Edmonton. We're canceling pediatric surgeries to make room for unvaccinated adults. It's beyond infuriating. Okay, so these people talk about how we can't saddle kids with debt, but you're okay with saddling them with a burning planet, pulling them away from their friends for almost two years, or disrupting their education time after time? Let's face it, you don't really care about kids. This is about you doing whatever you want as long as life's normal for 
for you, not disrupting your status quo. The kids are collateral damage. Tanya signs off one angry mom who cares enough about your kids to get vaccinated. That from Tanya. We got this one here, an email from Trash Talker Angry Adam, who says all this talk about the people's party on the show, the PPC didn't win a seat. Maybe it's a pimple on the elephant's ass, like I heard about on Real Talk, but I feel a more accurate description would be that it started as a pimple on the elephant's ass, and then judging white nationalist support in Canada, counting votes for the PPC is a delusional way of perceiving reality. So here's the deal. Starts as a pimple, the elephant felt it every time it sat down and so committed to standing for a significant amount of time. When the pimple directs behavior of the elephant, the pimple's gotta go. Now there is a simple solution, yet no one's gonna pop that pimple. And let's qualify what I'm talking about. He says the elephant is the conservative party. The pimple is the alt-right. I've never seen a pimple on any living organism that covers over 50% of the body, but I'm not here to debate the poor quality of the metaphor. So we're talking about the loud and proud portion of the pimple and how we should approach it. I am not saying kill the elephant. I'm saying the elephant needs to kill the pimple, even though it knows that killing the pimple will kill the elephant. Okay, still with me? If the elephant wants to ensure life for its children, it knows what it has to do. It started as a minor irritation, but before long, the elephant was asking its friends, hey bro, do you mind? I've got this pimple on my ass and it's painful. You mind checking it out and telling me if you think it's infected? To which the friend looks, throws up in their mouth and replies, a little bit of swelling, but I wouldn't worry. Adam raps by saying, don't be arrogant. A pimple on an elephant's ass became the 45th president of the United fucking States. People love to blame Donald Trump for the woes of division we now face, but he's just an opportunist. Born of an economic system that breeds narcissistic thirst for wealth, he was the prime candidate to exploit a rotten system. Angry Adam says, we love to call China out on this, but where do you think they learned it from? Russia? If that was the first thing that came to your mind, find the nearest library and don't leave until my cat comes when it's called. That from Angry Adam, who had me talking about pimples on elephants' asses way longer than I ever thought I would. Trash talk submissions are sent to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We always want to hear from you. Make sure you label it clearly in the subject line. Coming up next week, Tuesday, our first show of the week, Positive Reflections. Talk about a digital currency for Canada. We'll talk to the founder of Orange Shirt Day, Phyllis Webstad, and we are dedicating next Thursday's show, September 30th, to a meaningful discussion on reconciliation in Canada. I'm already looking forward to it. Real Talkers, thanks for showing up every day in more ways than one. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Catch you on the flip side. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.